millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Something strange is happening on May 30th. Rogue Planet presents All the Strange 2020, a virtual online expo highlighting and celebrating UFOs, extraterrestrial life, ghosts, Bigfoot, you know, all the strange. Join us on May 30th as we showcase a series of fun presentations delivered by a lineup of awesome humans who are fascinated by the strange. And get this, All the Strange 2020 is a 100% free event. So jump over to allthestrange.com and register now. What's up, guys? Ryan here. Just hopping in to let you know that this week's episode originally aired as a live Somewhere in the Skies YouTube stream, which you can go watch right now on the Ryan Sprague YouTube channel. We referenced some videos and segments of the television show that my guests starred on, Alien Highway. So if you want a more visual experience and put some faces to voices, head on over to the Ryan Sprague YouTube channel. Be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications. And while you're at it, check out our new video series, Case Files where I run through some of my favorite UFO cases in less than 10 minutes. All right, that's enough shameless plugs. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Sprague. What's up, saucerheads? Before we get to this week's episode, it has been far, far too long since I've shouted out to all my Patreon subscribers for their continued and new support of the show. As many of you know, Somewhere in the Skies is always free to consume, but it's not free to create. So to offset costs, I've created the Patreon campaign, where you can donate whatever you feel like and whatever you think the show's worth. I offer different rewards for different levels of contributions. So, to learn more, visit patreon.com slash somewhere skies. And here we go with our thank yous. To Philip P., Kristen S., Johnny C., Peter M., Michael S., Shane H., Tor I. L., Maureen E., Francine M., Russ H., Diana W. P., Chad W., Ben B., Ricardo C., Sean K. J., Megan P., Kathy M. C., Christian P., Matthias L., Teresa Y, Emily H, Stephen D, Paul S, Valerie B, Christine, Scott N, Cheryl C, James M, Chris H, Glenn O, Josh D, Uniloves, Patrick LK, Chris C, Gremlin 73, Jennifer G E, Abraham E, Ed C, Violetta B, and finally to Steve W. That was a lot. I have to do this way more often, and if I did not mention you, I am so sorry. Please reach out to me on Patreon and yell at me there, and I'll be sure to thank you on the show. And thank you to all of you for your continued support. I truly couldn't do this show without you, especially right now, with basically the entire world shut down. 
So once again, to all of you and to everyone listening, thank you. Be safe, be healthy, and enjoy the show. Everyone, thank you for joining me tonight for a very special episode of Somewhere in the Skies. Now, some of you might know one of our guests from a previous episode, Heather Taddy, one of the stars of Alien Highway. But today we actually have two of the hosts of that television show on with us. We're going to talk all about the show, what evidence they found most compelling during each investigation, what didn't make it into the episodes, which is always fun. And we're going to take listener questions too. So right now, I want to welcome my two guests, the hosts of Alien Highway. I've got Chuck Sukowski and Heather Taddy. Guys, how are you doing today? Hello. There they are. <laughs> hey, how are you doing, Heather? I haven't talked to you lately. <laughs> I know, man. It's been a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This time last year. Actually, we were done this time last year. But yeah, last year was pretty tough. You know, we uh, we followed a storm for two months. And we were basically yeah. in the snow the whole time. Yeah, I noticed. Like, you guys looked freezing the entire time. Yeah. So, yeah. so we're talking winter. You were mostly shooting? Well, well, actually, you know, we shot one episode in, in December and the rest beginning of the year. But we just, at the beginning of the year, we just followed a storm. And kid you not, you can have kind of Heather this, too. We could not wait for, for you know, the episode we were going to shoot in California because we thought it would be a lot warmer. And... We're on Pacific Coast Highway at, in Malibu, right? The beach on one side, the mountain, you know, the hills on the other. And it's sleeting on us. It's hailing. <laughs> you know? Of course. Picked a good time. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure oh, we'll get to that SoCal episode, Chuck. Um, that, that one's very timely with a lot of stuff going on in the UFO world now. Uh, but before we kind of, um, I guess, dive into the episodes, guys, I always like to give those viewers or listeners um, kind of the origin story. So we'll go with Alien Highway. How did the show come to be? And um, how did you guys decide what cases you were going to cover? Um, whichever one of you'd like to take that. Do you want to go? Or you want me to go? Um, me- how about you go with this one since you were more into the development process of it? Cool. Well, uh, Rick Sasson, the, the uh, creator of the show, contacted me. Uh, every now and then I get a, you know emails from producers. And, and, and so he contacted me. And, and basically um, he said... You know, uh, he's looking to try and put together something for Travel Channel. I guess they had, you know, a, a project open. He said, how would you do a TV show? And they said, well, that's simple. I would do a TV show just like I would do a regular investigation. I would do it as a field investigation, uh, you know, real investigators, uh, real people, eyewitnesses, you know, and, uh, and all their, uh, you know, any type of evidence that they have. And then as for the episodes, uh, him and I went back and forth over episodes, and out of the eight episodes, seven of them were mine, basically. My, you know, the, you know, the ones that that I had pitched. The the California one I didn't, only because you know I live in Colorado and I'm not on the beach. <laughs> so, <laughs> but but, uh, but actually, uh, four of them were actually my investigations. Right, right. And I, I noticed, you know, at the beginning of every episode, it had like the file that would show up and it would say CZ file number, da 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 dash da 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 da. I love seeing that, just knowing like the a lot of this did come from your actual case files, though. Well, that those file numbers they just threw in there. My, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah my file numbers, uh, you know, behind the camera, I have a, a filing cabinet uh, and one out of the garage, but uh, my files are basically by name. You know, mm-hmm. name and, and location, basically. If there was a number, then I would have to have some type of a notebook to, 
to cipher the numbers to, you know, that's too much work. <laughs> right. Right. I can imagine that would get stressful. <laughs> um, now, Heather, now, how did you get hooked up with the show? Now, being that you come from uh, the world of the paranormal, we talked about this in our individual interview, but yeah, how did you come to be a part of this project? So I actually uh, know the executive producer of Alien Highway because he was one of the executive producers for Paranormal State. So randomly over the years, he's, he's um, you know, come to me for different projects. So he came to me for this one and I was like, yeah, you know, let me in, get involved in this because it was so it was so much different than doing, uh, you know, the regular thing where I would go into clients' homes and hear all their stories and, and help them and try to catch evidence. So it, it was more of like an adventure to me. So I was like, yep, sign me up. And interestingly enough, a lot of there were a couple story editors that worked on Alien Highway that also worked on Paranormal State. And I had never met any of them before. Meanwhile, they had seen all this, you know, they would watch hours of the footage from Paranormal State of, of me as a college student in this club, you know, investigating these homes. So it was really cool when we go to the studios in California because we'd walk past the editing bays and you'd look in and, and I got to meet, you know, these key players that made Paranormal State what it was. And it was just, it was really cool to have them work on this project too. Heather, um, how do you approach a UFO investigation? Um, before we even get to what you guys did investigate, um, how is it different from a paranormal investigation, would you say? I mean, with the UFO investigations, you're obviously most of the time you're outside. So you have to worry about a lot of environmental factors such as wild animals. And I'm so used to being in a very uh, closed, compact space in a client's home or a basement or an attic. So I'm I'm used to you know, a, a smaller area. And uh, so that that was one of the main, main differences. But a, a lot of the techniques with interviewing and most of the equipment was all, it all kind of just blended into the other investigations. So. Gotcha. Now, Chuck, there is another member of the investigation team um, who you're quite close with, I would say. Um, how, yeah. how did Daniel get involved? Who's Daniel? Um, and what made you want to bring him in to do this show? Well, it's it's interesting because um, I guess you know for a long time now I've been taking family members on on my investigations, and uh, you know they they basically originally talked with my older son and then talked with my daughter and talked with Daniel, and then um, it was between they decided well you know uh, they wanted kind of like two males so they kind of decided either between my son Daniel and my son Chuck, and then. Daniel's just Daniel's pretty cool. He's he's pretty energetic and and he's on top of things. Uh, my son Chuck is more reserved, so I think uh, you know out of the two, they decided on Daniel because uh, he's a go getter. And if you watch the show, it was really kind of funny because you know what he was doing on the show was exactly what he does in real life. You know, he gets his mindset on doing something, he takes off, he gets focused on it, and he, you know there was times where where he would just split up from the group and take off on his own. And, and finally we, we assigned, you know, cameraman Neil to him and, and then put a GoPro on his chest. And a few times, you know, with him taking off on his own, looking for evidence, he came across some good evidence and uh, we had some really positive outcomes over that. So I was really happy that he was part of the team. Yeah. I think he brought um, just a whole level of, uh, for those who may not be familiar with the paranormal world or the UFO world, uh, that very grounded, um, skeptical lens that a lot of investigation actually really needs. Um, so I guess we'll just dive in in terms of that um, investigation 
um, and evidence. Uh, I want to start with the Missouri Mayhem episode with you guys. This was a pretty interesting one. There was a huge, you know, a rash of sightings, a UFO flap or wave, as we, we call it in the UFO world. And this was part of the Piedmont Lights incident, which I'm sure a lot of our UFO crowd might know about. But um, yeah, could you guys maybe give us a little bit, um, a little overview of what this episode was and uh, kind of what you set out to do with it? I'll start first, and I'll only talk real short. So <laughs> I really feel bad about yeah. There's sometimes yeah, you know, the the problem is is some of these um, episodes were investigations that I was involved with, and then so I go into them and I totally forget Dan and Heather were there, and I always be off on my own, and they're just kind of like going, "All right, all right, yeah, uh, we be quiet so we can get a word in edgewise." <laughs> um, yeah, I've been, you know, Piedmont was, was something I've worked on before. And then I actually did an episode for um, uh, uh, the Science Channel uh, where uh, I covered a little bit of Piedmont. So it was kind of cool to go back there again. Uh, and they were still having some uh, some activities. But, you know, they had a big UFO flap. Um, I forgot. Shoot, I forgot. It was late 70s or so. or um, I think it was 1973. 73. Yeah. yeah. 73, yeah. Heather would know because she was a documentarian. No, yeah, that's <laughs> her job. Yeah. I'm like, okay. Yeah. That's what I do with my wife. I'm like, what did I say two weeks ago? Uh, yep. I know that feeling. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so they had this big UFO flap. And then since then, there's been sightings there ever since. And then Missouri is really, really hot. And then what's even more interesting is Clearwater Lake, uh, which is near Piedmont. When I lived in Missouri, my father and I used to fish there. My father's gone now, but when we were there at the lake, you know, it brought back memories of, you know, me and my father fishing there. And at the time I didn't, you know, when I was a kid fishing there, I didn't realize, you know, exactly what happened there. And, and the fact that, you know, eyewitnesses saw this giant craft hovering over the water, Clearwater Lake, and, you know, and then, you know, shooting up out of the sky. So it was pretty cool to go back there, Heather. Yeah, Heather, what, what were your thoughts on this episode? What did you find most compelling about it? Well, for me, I really liked talking to the researcher when we went to Elephant Rocks, and he had this very detailed map of all these fault lines of the area. And I really thought it was interesting that he, you know, he came up with a theory that these fault lines were creating energy that was that were attracting these UFOs. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. There's something about that that really resonated with me. I really liked that idea, and um, the whole investigation at Clearwater Lake. It was just, it was beautiful, and that was actually the first episode we filmed. And um, oh. I, I think when you watch it, it, it seems very natural the way that we work with each other and, and everything. So I, I really like that one. And, and also, too, you know, we had a town's hall full of, you know, people that lived in this small town. And they're all telling us about their experiences, not realizing that they're the person sitting next to them has been having the same experience. experience. They've just been all really, you know, kind of scared to talk about it. So it was really cool to get all of those people in a room and just open up and hear everyone's stories. I, I find that town hall sort of thing fascinating um, because that is when you can really um, kind of get the the character of a town and mm-hmm. how these events are affecting them all. And to, you know, for them to all come together and all have different stories, like that's an investigator's dream. You know, you, you don't even have to really go out and do the, the legwork. They're coming to you. So that was a really cool way, I think, for you guys to really get to the, uh, the core of this investigation. Now, was there any sort of incidents or, um, I guess, 
pieces of evidence in this episode that really like really stood out to you guys? There, there was a there was a couple of of, of one I'll explain. It was really really cool, but the one that really kind of threw me. I don't know if it if if it you know uh, threw Heather was when we were filming there just together for the first time. The executive producer from Travel Channel showed up, and then she's there on side watching us. And you talking about being nervous and, and whether or not you're doing everything right or not. Yeah. And it, it took a little bit for, you know, after I talked with her, you know, to kind of relax and, and you know, not, not you know, because we're, we're trying to impress. This is our, you know, our first episode we're shooting. And uh, Travel Channel could, could have pulled the plug any time saying, yeah, you know what, it's just not working. But Heather was right. You know, um, we really gelled and uh, it came together really well, even with the first episode and with the production company. The, um, the one thing, and I let Heather, uh, uh, you know, talk about this also, but it really blew me away was we went to a, um, a ranch and there was uh, there was this kind of like a circle uh, where a craft, supposedly craft planted or something, but it's almost like a crop circle. I've seen these things before with cattle mutilations and we had a picture of it and, and we were able to uh, to use a, 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 like a slide picture to, to, to know exactly the circle was after a few months because it happened in the summertime. And uh, when I was, I was getting some soil samples and then, but when I was walking up to check the EMF electromagnetic field, which I normally do, my meter was just, just going crazy. And I'm going, Holy mackerel, man. Even, even after, you know, what, six months or so, this, this place is still active. There's still energy in this circle around this circle. And was even more cool. And they left it in the show was Jason, our cameraman, was following me. And as he got close to the edge of the circle, his camera actually reset. Now, this is a $70,000 red camera. That's the manufacturer red. These are the same cameras that are used shooting Guardians of the Galaxy, a lot of Marvel movies. And for his camera, just to reset on its own for no reason at all. And it's the first time it's ever happened to him. And so we kind of left, we left that in. But what didn't make it in was we had a drone uh, you know, shooting over over the top of us when I was when Heather and I were doing soil samples and stuff, and and when the drone operator Daniel, I think it was his name, Heather. Anyway, yeah, uh, yeah. And, anyway, he went to go land the drone, and he was standing near the circle. They got cameras and they have sonar on the bottom, oh, and wow. so when he goes to land, it can see the ground, and they have automatic landing, so it doesn't crash the drone like I crashed my last drone. That's why I have this one. <laughs> so, <laughs> So Daniel was bringing the drone down, and it couldn't find the ground. It literally would stop, and it couldn't find it. And uh, whoops, I just turned it on by accident. Pull the battery. Up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't fly away. I'll be holding it. Tragedy <laughs> live on the air. <laughs> and uh, and it couldn't find the ground. It couldn't land it. It just wouldn't huh. land. It. That's the safety feature, so it doesn't crash. So he's, he's working with it, and then finally he just grabbed it with his hand like this. And pulled away, and I said that was pretty awesome. You know, uh, EMF camera and, and the drone couldn't. You know, they all three had issues with that circle. Heather, did anything really memorable stick out to you during this one? It's definitely that story because you could see the look of shock on Jason, who was our camera operator, on his face, and he's been in the business for a really long time. So he to see the look of shock, like what just happened to my camera? Like this shouldn't have happened. That was pretty pretty compelling to see. So. Um, but something that that was a little fun behind the scenes fact was uh, when I dropped off the soil samples that was at a lab in St. Louis, we were we figured it out that we were 
less than a mile away from uh, the the house uh, where the boy that the exorcist was based on, where he mm. lived for like during the peak of his possession in this house. And so Chuck and I were like, let's, let's go take a drive. We have a, a lunch break. Let's go and check it out. So we went to look at it and uh, it was really funny because the owner walked out and she, she looked like someone that you would think would own this house. She had bright purple, pink hair and she was really cool. And we just pulled up Chuck's truck and we were just talking to her. And uh, Chuck was like, you should get a, Linda Blair decoration for your for Halloween and put it on your front lawn. But <laughs> nice. looking out the window or something. <laughs> you know, and, that was, and that was cool about this. You know, we we did some stuff on our own. We had time. We really didn't have a lot of time. You know, um, in between shoots because we were pretty packed. But when Heather said, "Hey, the Exorcist house is here," I'm going, "Oh my gosh, it is Missouri, isn't it?" And she goes, "Yeah, it's nearby." I'm going, "Yeah, let's do it. Absolutely." I mean, that's. That I was just talking about it just the other day um, on on another on another podcast, saying you know that was just sorry Heather I was talking about you. Oh, on no, that. you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> but, but basically said the same thing that, that you, know, you suggested see it, and that's one of the things I won't forget either because that was kind of cool. And, and all cool. of our trips to White Castle. <laughs> okay, well, you have to understand. Yeah, that was true. The first time we went to White Castle was on my birthday, uh, December twelfth, and. Uh, I shouldn't birth. I'm sorry, December. <laughs> Reject that. <laughs> yeah, the engineer in me, everything's got to be numbers. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we were there shooting, and it was my birthday. And they said, Well, where do you want to go? And I said, Well, I used to live in Missouri, so I want to go to White Castle because it's been a long time. And they go, Are you kidding? Really? White Castle? I'm like, yeah, White Castle. So, uh, you know, they, uh, Production crew, both the production crew came with us, and we uh, got a an Uber with a van, and all we all we went, we all, all went to White Castle and just loaded up on White Castle. It was so much fun. Hey man, you you do what you got to do. I remember I went to a White Castle at three a.m. in the morning on the Vegas Strip, so that's when you know you've hit rock bottom, in my opinion. But it tasted so good, so. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm I'm happy to hear that. Um, well, we stay in Missouri, Missouri actually for the next episode. Uh, this one was called UFO Terror, and this was this one was tough. This is a pretty emotional um, episode where you really get to see how a UFO incident or incidents affect a person. I mean, it can be sometimes for the good and sometimes really not, and it really depends on how a witness or an experiencer either you know, embraces an event or rejects it. So, um, yeah, would you guys maybe run us a little through uh, UFO terror and what it was like talking to these people in this one? Okay. Uh, basically, this was this was my investigation. It came to my website, ufonut.com. Uh, basically, um, it came to my website, and I'm going, wow, this is a combination of possible abduction or something and, and UFOs and neighbors seeing them and maybe creatures and all kinds of stuff going on. And so I um, contacted my sister, Debbie, who, who Debbie Ziegelmeyer, who's an investigator in Missouri. And I asked her, can you can you go over there and check it out for me, please? And and see if there's anything to this. And she came back going, it's hot. It's really hot. And so when we uh, we talked about episodes, they said, we definitely have to do this. Guarantee. I guarantee you're going to get some evidence. And we did. So I'll stop right there and I'll let Heather chime in and then I can come in afterwards. It was definitely, it, it, for me, it was reminiscent of, you know, the format of a paranormal state episode. 
you know, these people are being targeted by phenomena and it's our job to go in there and, you know, find out a little bit about their past and what they're experiencing now and kind of their mindset through this whole situation. So for me, the hit, the whole, the hypnosis session was really incredible to me because you could see Steve it, it, it was just like, he was taken back to that experience. Like it was, if, it was as if he was still a teenager and um, for him to recount everything it was incredible. And even the, 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 uh, hip, hypnotherapist was like, I definitely believe him. And she had had no prior knowledge to, you know, him being abducted. So, and, and she didn't lead him in any way. And it, it was her first time doing a session like this. So that the, the hypnosis session really stuck out to me. And something that didn't make the episode was in that session, he kind of recounted that, uh, this being took him to the top of this mountain and pointed out to the city lights and said to him that the city lights were bad. So we kind of connected that to where, you know, he's seeing all these lights and everything he sees, it's taking him back to this original uh, traumatizing event. Now, I mean, between the, I guess, the three of you, uh, Daniel included, what do you guys make of um, of hypnosis when it comes to people claiming alien abductions or, uh, you know, close encounter experiences? Uh, it's a very controversial and touchy thing. So I was really surprised to see you guys go down that route in the episode, but that's, that's one of the only avenues we have to get these memories from people. So I'd love to know your individual thoughts on hypnosis when it comes to uh, investigating claimed abductions. I, I've worked with a few um, hypnotherapists who, you know, who uh, do regression. And uh, it's really interesting the thing is, is you really have to to know whether or not the person is under. And um, with, uh, you know, with this one is a UFO terror. That would be Steve Dolling. Um, when he was going under with this hypnotherapist, now what was kind of cool about it is this therapist has never done any alien or UFO stuff. Um, she's basically, you know, dreams was, was her specialty. And when she's the questions she was asking and some of the things, the answers and stuff, there was no way she could lead him if he wasn't, you know, under hip, you know, if he wasn't hypnotized basically, because she didn't really know that much about the ufology. And so it was really cool watching that. But when we first started watching of us, all three of us were kind of watching it off camera and Daniel and I are looking at each other and Daniel's going, yeah, I don't think so. You know, and, and then, <laughs> And then the more we watched, the more we realized, oh, my gosh, he really was. She took him back when he was a kid, and then she brought him further or, uh, uh, or, or back a little bit when he's a teenager. But he was still in the kid state. You know, he was still like eight or nine years old asking or answering the questions. He stayed there, even though he was answering the questions as a teenager. So it was really cool to see that. And uh, I'll go let, I'll let uh, uh, Heather chime in. What do you make of regression hypnosis? I mean, I, I would think it's pretty useful because, you know, you're, you're tapping into your unconscious mind, which is a really, that's always been a really fascinating thing to me, you know, the subconscious mind. So you would think that it would help uncover things that you kind of, you know, put in the back of your, your, your memory box. Um, so, I mean, I don't think it hurts any kind of situation. I think in this situation, it was, it was pretty useful. And, Hopefully Steve kind of found some peace from being able to, you know, get that out because he hadn't told, I don't think he had told anyone besides his wife um, about that story. So 
Yeah, yeah, that's tough. And I've dealt with a lot of experiencers in my time. It's not easy. So, um, yeah, that was that's a pretty emotional episode, I would say. Um, but the next one got a little dark. And um, I see a lot of people here are asking about the Skinwalker episode. We'll get there. We're getting there. That was <laughs> probably one of the most popular ones uh, that a lot of fans really liked. But, um, yeah, let's go to um, the next one here. We've got um, Murder on the Prairie. Now, Chuck, this is a topic that a lot of people know you for, um, mutilation. So, um, and this is in your home, in your neck of the woods, Colorado. So, yeah, maybe we could talk a little bit about... Um, what you came across murder on the prairie this episode was called so yeah could you maybe run us through a little about what this episode was about okay yeah um basically that was another one of my investigations of course this was colorado and um probably out of out of all the cattle mutilation or animal mutilation investigators in u.s there's only like top three and really top two and that's me and uh, christopher o'brien mm-hmm. Linda house not really doing it anymore so I've had a lot of experience doing animal mutilation investigations, not only here in Colorado, but Missouri and then New Mexico and some other places. So this was kind of interesting because when I was working on a case um, that was in Colorado, when we were talking, when, when Rick, the, the, the creator of the show, was talking to me about, uh, you know, what type of cases we should do and stuff. And it was interesting. We were in my office right here chatting and I got a phone call from the witness in uh, Westcliff, Colorado, and he'd lost another, you know, another couple of animals. And it was really, really interesting that that while Rick was here, and I think I think Neil might have been here at the time too, and they were just shooting some extra footage that, you know, just just just, you know, for pitching, that I actually had the witness live on my phone on the on part of the uh, part of the pitch reel of discussing real time the investigation and how we have to, you know, you know, we need to go up. And then I actually took Rick up there and, uh, and, and Rick met him and, and, and talked to, you know, people that, you know, cells. So basically that was combined with um, Western Colorado and also combined with Trinidad where there've been animal mutilations and strange lights. And this is by forte in, in, you know, Roswell and some other things, but, this is one of the things that I really hold dearly to me because these are strange animal deaths. Twenty-four hours before you see this, you know this animal has been alive, kicked, you know, no problems at all, and then the next day it's it's, it's dead, and there's no blood, and there's cut marks, and and the rancher is just doesn't know what the heck's going on. Some ranchers are scared. Some ranchers don't even want to talk to you because they don't know what's going on, and and some ranchers in the case that we brought on the Alien Highway are looking for the truth and want to get the information out there to help other ranchers too and other people in those circumstances that see these things. So it was a, to me, it was a, it was kind of a, a pretty cool episode, but it, you know, it hit home pretty hard. Yeah. And I think what's um, important too, for people to remember is uh, for a lot of these ranchers, these animals are their livelihood. So if these things are mysteriously dying at an alarming rate, how are they going to make money? So I, I think it's really important. And it's kind of an untapped part of ufology that I don't think um, gets noticed that often. So I was happy to see in a quote unquote UFO show um, that you guys went there. So yeah, Heather, what, what stuck out to you about this episode? Um, well, this was definitely one of my favorite episodes. 
And what stuck out to me was like, you could really feel the frustration from all the ranchers that we interviewed and all the witnesses. And we had some pretty great stories and, you know, they all were centered around this purgatory river in this area of Colorado. So, uh, I don't know. I just, it's amazing too. Like, how do you not know what happens to your animals? Like the situations were so bizarre. Like where does nine gallons of blood from a horse just disappear to? And, and when there's no signs of struggle with any of the animals, like what, what's really going on. And, and the fact that they couldn't get answers from any of the vets or, you know, the cops don't know what to do. It's, 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 it's just so bizarre. And it's still something that I think there's still a lot of research that needs to go into it. Right. I would have to agree. Yeah, this was, um, this was, it's a hard one. It's controversial. Um, especially when you see the way that these animals were mutilated. I mean, the precision, you know, of the, the cut marks, the way that they were, um, just, just everything about it screams unnatural to me. Like this wasn't just a predator who attacked another animal. So, I mean, Chuck, in terms of evidence, like the animal itself, did anything really stick out to you as, we're dealing with something truly anomalous here, at least in this episode. Yeah, the problem with animal mutilations for TV shows is, you know, you would have to address those issues as an afterthought because they would already occur. We were really lucky with with this case where, you know, it, we had a couple of cases I had a, you know that I did that were within a, you know, a month or so, and, and there was still activity there. So that's unheard of to do a TV show and be on top of a, animal mutilation investigation that close. It's usually a year later or something. But what I found in the past is some of the animals are actually lying on a, on a, like a crop circle, but it's not a crop circle. It's just a, it's like 16 to 22 feet in diameter. It's kind of resembles the same thing that we saw in Missouri that we had issues with the EMF and the drill and the cameras and stuff. And these animals are in the middle of it. And so I've taken samples from inside the circle and outside the circle, and I sent them to a soil analysis company that does analysis for geez, for uh, for all four corner states. So you know uh, they're they're really professional. And I basically say, okay, all I want is you know just this sample, this sample, compare them and see the difference. And it turns out that the soil inside the circle, the cations, the CECs. The soil is less soluble. The CECs have changed. The soil nutrients actually have changed. They're different than the other than the other soil samples, the test samples. Now, this happened with, with at least three cases here. I say three because I can't remember if I had three or four cases. But, but every case in Colorado, it was the same. And then I did a case in Kansas City, Missouri, and we tested the soil the same. And then in Georgia, the same results. Even though the Georgia soil is different than Missouri soil, Missouri soil is different than Colorado. Missouri is more clay, and I don't know about Georgia. But um, basically, even though soils were different, we came with the same analysis. That Now, the bottom line is, is, is when the animal is found, it, it's like it hits the ground, and there's like a, there's like a, a almost like a crater. And sometimes the animals hit so hard that the bones actually detach inside the body, you know, uh, the, the rib cage from, from the backbone and stuff. And, 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 and like these bones break. That doesn't happen if an animal just falls over. It happens if it's dropped. But then I learned after doing a lot of investigations and then also law enforcement, you know, being being law enforcement here in, in Colorado, uh, watching, you know, clips and stuff of, of, of just training clips that, that you know, if, if you have a suicide jumper and they hit the ground, they bounce. 
and, and Daniel could tell you, you know, I mean, not that he's worked on him, but, you know, that's that's the case. And, and none of these animals ever showed signs of bouncing. They were just physically placed and placed so hard that sometimes they leave a crater and sometimes it, you know. So anyway, that's the evidence that we see that something energy-wise, in my opinion, that causes this round ring is what placed the animal there. And then you have all the different cuts and then, but every case is always a void of blood. And then the ranchers also see balls of light. And I'll let uh, Heather chime in on the balls of light. Yeah, the, the compelling evidence from this episode was when we were behind uh, Tom Walker's ranch um, near the Continental Divide. It was where he would see all of these lights. And Chuck and I captured a, it was like a little red ball of light that would move and then it would disappear and then it would come back and then it would just disappear. And uh, I have no idea what that was, but that, I'd say that was the most, some of the most, besides the rancher stories of the animal mutilations, that was kind of the most compelling evidence that we actually saw and caught on camera. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting when you can connect aerial phenomena with, you know, a string or pattern of these mutilations happening you have to wonder like is there an actual connection or not um it was a really interesting episode yeah Chuck. it was cool having heather there because heather being you know a ghost investigator uh you know she's used to the experiences of you know, balls of light but they're more of orbs in ufology you don't use the word orbs you use balls of light because the balls of light are actually solid you know it's it's think of a probe like we would send out you know, uh, you know, to another planet or whatever. That's what these things are. They're they're solid, and then and and whatever they do, and while they're doing it, they give off a glow. And what I've learned, and and, and I tell you, this is this is really crazy, and it's a crazy phenomenon. But what I've learned about these balls of light, and also specific uh, UFOs that I know are, are not terrestrial, meaning you know, man-made, and you know, unless they're you know reverse engineering, is that the lights they don't reflect light. There's no reflection on the ground. Mm-hmm. And so the ball of light come up on a person. And I've actually got pictures of this, but I can't show it to you because they're minors and I don't have, uh, uh, you know, the parental uh, agreements. But but basically, a ball of light was, in, you know, when it's in front of someone and it's bright, 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 it doesn't cast a shadow. It doesn't leave anything on, on the person's body. Same thing with UFOs. When I interviewed a, a a cop in Missouri who saw a UFO, the Highland Illinois, uh, I think it was back 2000, where a bunch of these cops saw, you know, this large, large craft about, you know, foot and a half or two football fields. Um, this thing was so bright, but he could stare right into it. And it, and it was so bright, it didn't cast a shadow and it didn't reflect any of the uh, decals, the reflected decals on the squad car. So it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. Then again, it's kind of scary because you're looking at something, you're going... Uh, well, this doesn't this doesn't jive with with anything that we have now in current technology. Yeah, what is this? And and I'm looking at it, and it's looking at me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> good, really good point. Um, so James asks um, before we move on to the next episode. Um, hi Heather and Chuck, do animal mutilations only occur at night? I mean, have you guys ever come across cases where this has happened during the daytime? You know, that's a really good question. The thing is about that question is is Every one of my cases are free-ranging animals, mm-hmm. and they're not really near near the ranch house. So the rancher only knows that he saw the animals the day before, and then the next day, you know, he sees them dead. Um, there was one case that I talked with uh, 
the the son of of, of the person that his dad actually saw a mutilation take place, and um, this was in Colorado, and uh, I'm still trying to get a chance to talk to him, but he's told the whole family, and as far as the family's concerned, you know, the dad doesn't lie, but he's afraid to talk about it. He's afraid to go on camera. He's afraid to talk to anybody about it because what he experienced, and that was during daytime. All the other cases, I really can't tell you because it's all after you know, afterwards I show up and afterwards the you know uh, the rancher sees them the next day. Although the, there are times where the ranchers have seen balls of light at night, right, yeah. in the same areas where um, where uh, the the animals have been mutilated. So um, you know, uh, I don't know. You know, that's a good call. Yeah. And I mean, welcome to ufology. Most of, you know, once a UFO event happens, it's too late. You know, I think that's the most frustrating thing about being a UFO investigator is once you're called to the scene, it's usually over already. Um, Now, I would say your your guys show more than almost any other investigative show I've seen. uh, You have you caught things in the act, which was really interesting and we will we will get to those episodes where that really amped up um i do want to move to um opt outside on youtube said the sedona episode had absolutely stunning scenery i would have to agree and um for those in the the ufo world um a lot of people know about sedona this is a hotbed for ufos and it's just a beautiful weird strange place in general so um I guess, Heather, we'll start with you. What was it like going to Arizona and going to this place that a lot of people really think is like a literal like UFO highway, like a vortex of sorts? It was pretty amazing. You know, Arizona has always been one place I've wanted to visit and being able to go there and go to the vortexes and just be outside looking at the stars and just watching the sky. It was pretty incredible. And uh, yeah, that whole episode, I mean, we got some pretty good evidence on that on that one. And it's definitely a place that I would love to go back to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, did anything really stick out to you in terms of like what you saw there that personally made you feel, yeah, this is definitely a special, special place? Oh, yeah. I mean, when we were at Bradshaw Ranch, for example, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the witness we were interviewing, right, I think it was after we had heard the sound, it sounded like someone was rattling like a something metal, like the gate. We heard that sound and our witness immediately said she saw like a shadow go above the trees. Uh, And then, you know, shortly after that, we're just looking at the sky and we see it looked like a planet, you know, lighting up on the horizon and it gets really bright. And all of a sudden it just disappears. And like our whole crew saw it. Um, That's just one of the things we saw. How about you, Chuck? Anything really uh, stick out to you when it came to the uh, the Sedona episode? The uh, there's another one of my investigations where, you know, I was uh, I investigated the Phoenix lights and then. uh, the, not the Bradshaw ramps, but Sedona and the Vortex is there. But it was really exciting for me to go back and actually, you know, go to the Bradshaw Ranch and see it firsthand because that, that was the first time I'd seen it. And I actually captured something on camera. Uh, I, I don't know if it, I think I made it on the show, um, you know, while we were there at night and uh, there was a ball of light that popped up and, and I just, just happened to, you know, catch it with my camera. But what's really cool about that is there's just, you know, I was born in Arizona. I was born in Safford, Arizona. So it was cool to go back to Arizona and go, hey, you know, this is this is my you know my home state here. And and but you know, when I left Cal- uh, Arizona, it was like I was nine, so I didn't get a chance to do all that cool yeah. stuff. But we we covered the Phoenix Lights, and uh, when I was living living in California at the time, I was investigating the Phoenix Lights, and I tracked the Phoenix Lights through eyewitnesses 
from um, from uh, Arizona. Uh, actually, I think I'm sorry. It was Nevada, California, into Arizona. Uh, yeah, and yeah, you know when they actually saw him in Arizona, and so it's kind of cool to go back and talk to uh, you know not only eyewitnesses but pilots. And actually, we got to talk to a pretty cool pilot that uh, that that saw a, a very recent you know UFO while he was you know at at altitude. And was even more cool was uh, one of my Harley riding friends out here in Colorado. They happened to be in Arizona at the time on vacation, and and they were traveling uh, just on a freeway, and they saw everybody pull up the freeway, and they're all staring up, so they pulled over, and they looked up. And here we had a pilot that saw this thing above his airplane, and now I have my friends who saw it just by coincidence from the ground, and they could see it, so we had, you know, two different aspects of And this just happened just a year before, so it was it was really cool to to share that as, as fairly recent evidence, especially with a uh, commercial um, uh, airline pilot. When it comes to vortexes, I'd love to get both your personal thoughts on this. Do you really think there are geographical places in the world where these phenomena or these aerial anomalies can jump in and out of? I mean, we've heard so many things like the ley lines or, um, you know, the seven wonders of the world being these places where like, um, stuff can hop in and out. Um, it, do you think there's any scientific basis behind any of this? Um, whichever one of you would like to take. I like Heather go first. Sure. I mean, I think it's a pretty plausible theory. Um, I don't really, you know, have a very much of a scientific background to like validate it, but it makes sense that, you know, an area with such an amount of energy can get magnified and can attract disturbances like this. I, I think it's definitely possible. Uh, but I, I like exploring those and asking those questions about, you know, does it create a thinner veil? You know, do the red rocks have something to do with the things that are happening in Arizona? I think there's a lot of things that kind of go into play that mix with the vortexes that maybe creates this energy. Yeah, I, I think, you know, a lot of people think that there are certain areas and there are certain elements in the the earth, I guess, as it were, that um, let's say there is a intelligence behind the ufos um that they're trying to tap into those resources um so that's why we see them in these really mountainous areas or why we see them in bodies of water like maybe maybe this is something they need i don't know i'm just spitballing but um chuck what do you think what do you make of vortexes in general it's kind of interesting because i've always you know i had a fascination with vortexes um for a long time and uh because i've been to sedona a few times and you know it's 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 an energy that you can't measure, that you, you physically can't see, and you can't measure with any type of instruments. Yet, yet you can feel it, which is kind of really bizarre. Uh, you know how that works. Yeah. But as you know, as a UFO investigator, I get people all the time to talk about you know um, you know vortexes or, or or some type of of, of energy uh, columns or you know stuff that's, that's happening, and from a scientific point of view, it you know kind of makes sense in some cases uh, when you look at um, even if you look at multidimensional universes and stuff, you know, we're we're still trying to figure out wormholes and black holes and 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 for all we know the energy from a wormhole or or black hole or, or many wormholes or something could extend out as a cone and some interesting things can happen. Like with the Bradshaw ranch, you know, the uh, the I think it was the wife's owner, I forget her name. Uh, of course Heather will probably remember <laughs> <laughs> um, she actually, you know, besides seeing 
you know, creatures and UFOs and stuff, a dinosaur popped up. And not only did that happen at Brashaw Ranch, but there was another case I was investigating uh, near Sedona that that happened also where a, a little boy, you know, he was just looking and, you know, just they were just out on vacation. And all of a sudden he saw just this whole just like plane of dinosaurs and stuff. It was almost like he was watching TV and it was only for a few seconds and it was gone. So mm-hmm. that's happened to me in, um, in Colorado at the uh, base of very uh, cliff dwelling. I'd have, you know, and I was with my, my brother-in-law and I thought I was just daydreaming, but we were in a really sacred area at the Mesa Verde uh, Cliffs, but we were, uh, you know, on the land where where they had, they were underground and then they came above ground before they went to the cliffs. And for a split second, and I just talked about this on the podcast, that's why I was kind of remembering, that for a split second, I saw the whole village. And I'm going, ah, I'm just, you know, I'm looking, I'm going, well, that's pretty cool. But then I thought I was daydreaming. And my brother-in-law Lynn was there, and I walked up, and I looked at my brother-in-law Lynn, and he had this kind of shocked look on his face, going, what's going on? He goes, man, I just saw a village. I'm going, what? (laughs) That's really interesting. Like, you do have to wonder, um, you know, are these snippets in time that are just getting, you know, um, mixed up? Um, A lot of people think, I don't know, Heather, in the paranormal world, like, when we see a ghost, it's not so much like, a disembodied spirit it's literally we're seeing a moment in time played out not in the temporal time as we know it so whatever that is might be just as scared and confused and surprised of seeing us as we are of them i don't know i don't know is there anything there maybe i'm just crazy something that, that came to my mind when we were talking I, I totally forgot about this because it didn't make the episode but we interviewed this guy named george that uh one summer he was having like a barbecue in his backyard and uh, they just looked out and they saw this giant, like his backyard, he had this gorgeous view of these mountains and there was all this land. And and he saw this giant craft just kind of fly by and everyone was like, what was that? And then shortly after, a couple jets come by as if they're, you know, tracking this object. And I, don't, I don't know why that didn't make the episode. I thought it was a really uh, intriguing story. Do you remember that, Chuck? Yeah, I do remember that. That was, um, it's, it's kind of weird because it kind of reminded me of, of well, we'll talk about Tonopah later, but um, you know that that happens in Area 51 too, where there's a lot of uh, people see they'll see a craft or something, you know, blink on or blink off, or they'll or, or they'll see chase jets. And um, I had a I had a case over here in, in Colorado just before Christmas time where somebody had saw something up in northern Colorado, and then they said that it was awful fast, and then all of a sudden a couple of jets. That was all during the uh, that big drone, you know, um, you know, over by Fort Collins and stuff, and over into uh, Wyoming where all these all these drones, and we still don't know who those drones belong to. I, I'm pretty sure it was, you know, our military kind of messing around. But um, it's, it's it's really interesting stuff when when you talk to someone <laughs> and – and and they and they and they're trying to explain what they've seen, and they're and in their mind they're going, boy, I hope this guy doesn't think I'm crazy. <laughs> my point of view is like, man, I've I've heard this like millions of times. Right. And it's kind of fun watching the expression on face. Like, I wasn't crazy. I'm not crazy. I wasn't, crazy. I wasn't on drugs. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing shocks Chuck anymore. Trust me, guys. You can come come to him with the weirdest stuff you want to. Um. All right, so I want to move to California with you guys, if that's cool. Um, yeah. We're getting to my personal favorite episodes of the show so far, SoCal Clusters. Now, 
all of our audience is going to be very familiar. This episode was very timely, and it ties into a lot of uh, what's going on within the last few days of the Defense Department officially, you know, acknowledging that the these UFO videos we've been seeing from the Navy are authentic, um, and they are still unidentified, and they are official Navy videos. So, you know, saying that they were CGI'd is out of the question at this point. Um, saying they were conventional aircraft out. So we we do live in a really interesting time now in terms of the military and UFOs. And a lot of this came from SoCal. So um, I would love to um, get your personal thoughts on this. Heather, um, I guess we'll start with you. Um, what do you make of these Navy videos and the ongoing activity going on, you know, off the coast of Southern California? I mean, it's it's very fascinating to me because, you know, there's really high level pilots that have come forward, you know, talking about this. So it's like, they're not idiots. They know what they saw, you know? So it's, it's, there's just so many stories you hear. Um, but the whole, you know, our whole episode, we kind of tied in like, is the military watching these crafts or the crafts watching the military vice versa? So I don't know. I, I really, I, that was probably one of my other favorite episodes too. Well, we do have a, uh, a question that some of the viewers really want to know the biggest mystery in the SoCal episode. What the hell was up with your hat? I had to ask. <laughs> I have to ask. Explain Dude, so, that to us. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, we were going out on a boat, you know, I, I, we had a free day in LA. So me and some of the production guys, we went to this like army surplus store and I bought like five different berets and all these random like bright colors. And then I saw this sailor hat. <laughs> that looked like one that I had that I forgot to pack. So I was like, I'm going to buy this and I'm going to wear on the episode. And uh, later on down the road, I found out that the travel channel hated that. So uh, I got into some trouble for that, but I mean, it was fitting for the episode and it looked cool. You know, it looked like I was right off of sunset strip. You know? yeah, she looked like Gilligan. <laughs> <laughs> but funny could... story, we were filming a scene on that boat. I mean, it was, it was so windy and we were standing on the top deck of the boat and I mean, the camera's right on us, and all of a sudden, a gust of wind just blows the hat off, and the camera pans over and gets a shot of it just, like, floating in the ocean. And I'm just like, my hat! (laughs) The tragedy hat story. I love it. Chuck, how about you, man? I mean, you guys came across some really interesting stuff in this episode. It's clear that, you know, the Tic Tac event was not the only UFO event that happened in Southdale. So what do you make of this one, man? Daniel... He actually had to go through um, training to be able to use that full mask, you know, that I was able to talk to him while he was underwater. And so uh, it was the training was supposed to be done a couple of days before, but because of weather and some other things, it, you know, it happened that day, basically. And um, so he was a real trooper to jump in that water, <laughs> you yeah. know, which just just, you know, recently. With that training. But what I really liked about that episode is first off, you know, because when I lived in California, I've always known and, and heard about the probability that there's this uh, this underwater um, opening over by Malibu. And there's been a lot of UFOs seen coming on and, you know, uh, USOs and stuff coming out of the water, into the water and you know, all along the coast. And even when I was contracting in San Diego a few years ago, uh, there was a sighting there off, off of San Diego. So the West Coast is pretty hot. So it was really cool to go back and visit that. And the best part I liked about it is I had this really cool light experiment that I used uh, uh, for the uh, one of the Missouri uh, shows that, you know, I had it set up on the beach and it's 16 
floodlights, and the 16 floodlights blink uh, binary, you know, so they, they, they flash in, in binary code. And we actually picked up something. Uh, Heather and, and Daniel were looking at the binoculars over in Missouri, and while those lights were going off, they actually saw a light. And at first, Daniel was, oh, no, that's 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 got to be a plane. And then, then it stopped. <laughs> <laughs> and so I got to use that experiment on the boat, and I kind of figured out how to do it. And I took the 16 lights, and I put eight on one side and eight on the other, and I, and I pointed them down to the water. And then we had lights underwater for anything that was underwater that, that happened to be traveling or anything to try and pick up the light underwater. And then, and then it would see my lights. It was kind of, it was kind of choppy that day. And it was, uh, you know, the weather was coming in. I mean, the experiment worked, worked pretty well, but the whole time Daniel was underwater, uh, you know, he was being thrashed back and forth under the boat and, and further down. But while he was down there, you know, um, he saw something, he saw a light. Yeah. And, um, and then was, but was, was way cool. It was when we, when it, uh, me, Dan, Daniel, and, and Heather are with production, and we're going over the the audio that the cameraman underwater too picked up this really cool sound, and uh, so we brought a marine biologist in, and you know when I listened to it, I thought maybe it was a whale, and then she got listened to. It, she goes, "Well, it kind of sounds like maybe a whale." And then she listened. She goes, "No, that's mechanical, mechanical." That was awesome. So we picked up something underwater that um, could have been a submarine, could have been something else. But uh, these things where we actually picked up real evidence. Right. And I think, again, this is what set the the show apart is um, you guys were you were innovative in terms of your your investigations using some of the most high tech stuff out there, which you don't see often. You know, you just see someone shining a flashlight in the sky, thinking they're going to vector in a UFO. But you guys actually, like, you went all out for this. In this episode particularly, um, in terms of the underwater aspect, it really reminds me of uh, the testimony of Commander David Fravor, who saw the Tic Tac thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, he said when this thing dropped down to the ocean, uh, he saw a massive object below the water, you know, sort of churning up the water, and um, that it was... 10 times as big as the Tic Tac itself. So, I mean, is it possible that these things in the sky are actually coming from beneath the ocean? Um, maybe that is something you guys came across when you're there. I, I don't know. Well, I mean, it's, you know, the Earth, 70% of the Earth is water. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's always been. That's the other thing, too, is is every one of the my cases with, with animal mutilations and balls of light and even UFOs, not every one of them, but, you know, a vast majority of the, the UFOs and balls of light are seen near water. So yeah. there is some type of connection between water and the UFOs and, and, and you know, the balls of light. Maybe it's hydrogen. I, you know, it can't be oxygen because we got plenty of that. So maybe they're, they're you know, it's, it's hydrogen or something, or maybe they're just drinking it. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. the thing is, is, is you know, uh, well, matter of fact, I mean, hell, the, the Pentagon just came out just recently with those same videos you were talking about, said, oh, yeah, by the way, yeah, they were real. Yep. Old news. <laughs> I know. DOD, you're about two years late on that one. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> we could, uh, hey, I guess we're, we we can be happy that they're at least officially acknowledging it now. But, um, yeah, I think they're backtracking a lot. I think the real work is being done by independent investigators and researchers. So, um, no, that was, that was one of my favorites. I do want to move on to um, – the next one. Now, 
Storm Area 51 was a big thing last year. Everyone wanted to see those aliens at the base. Um, I went out there. I'm not going to lie. I was out there um, <laughs> weeks before Storm Area 51. Um, I'm always early for everything. I was a preemie baby. So um, I did miss the actual event. But let's talk about Escape from Area 51. Now, I know, um, Chuck, that you had an informant who gave you news that there was possibly something that got out of area 51. It, it, can you explain this to me, man? Well, this is, it's not a, it's not a new story to me because I, I've known about that particular story. Matter of fact, the movie Paul, if anybody's familiar with the movie, Paul, the comedy about the alien that escapes from area 51, that that's basically based on that story. And I've been to area 50, not, I haven't been to Area 51, but I've been, you know, to close to the West Gates. And, uh, and I, when I lived in California, you know, uh, I, I, I was one of the first four people that hiked the top of Tickaboo Peak to see Area 51 off a distance just after Freedom Ridge was taken. So oh, wow. it's always been really interesting to me. Um, but we had heard a story that, that you know, EBE, Extraterrestrial Biological Entity, you know, they call it, yeah, that was his nickname, EBE. It had escaped or from Area 51, but later found out that basically it was someone, you know, people helped him escape. And it's a really, really cool story. We didn't cover too much of the story itself, but people in Tonopah, which is just, you know, outside of Area 51 where the Proving Grounds is, you know, they're still seeing creatures and stuff. But, uh, and we actually got to, you know, there was someone picked up this, this thing going across, a, you know, the screen uh, on his dash cam. And that was in the, in the show. But it was really cool to go back and then talk to Tonopah or the people in Tonopah. And the story itself is this way cool where, where you know, you, you know, you have someone who, who, um, you know, helped this alien escape. And then, um, gosh, I'm trying to remember that bar. The Any, Tonopah Liquor Company? Yeah, the bar that was closed that, that we, that we, that we were at. Uh, anyway. Yeah. yeah. I don't remember. Oh, um, it, uh, that was in Warm Springs, right? Yeah, you know, there's a bar in Warm Springs. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so they they so you had suppose the story goes that that you had someone from Area 51, an insider, helped an alien escape, and they're in their vehicle and they drive to to this this intersection, um, and Warm Springs is right there, and the bar's right there, and that that was the trade off area, and then they the alien was moved from one vehicle to the other. And then, and then the other vehicles started taking off in, in another direction, but, but they were at the bar long enough that the people at the bar actually saw the alien. And there was a picture of it at one time, a photograph of the darn thing that was hanging in the bar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where did they go? But they just, you know, yeah. So yeah. I guess no news to them. Owls are somehow connected to UFOs. I don't say that lightly. After over a decade of obsessive investigation, I am convinced of this connection. As strange as it may seem, people are seeing owls in the highly charged moments of a UFO sighting and within the challenging memories of UFO abduction. This mystery has been the focus of my research. My name is Mike Cleland, and I have explored these connections in my book, The Messengers. At its core, this book is simply a collection of stories, and each is a remarkable real-life experience. The Messengers 
is also my own story of how owls played a role in my life. The Messengers is the first in a trilogy of books. All my books are available on Amazon in paperback, ebook, and very soon as audiobooks. And then the story goes that, that as as the, the alien was escaping, you know, in the new car, that they were you know, overcome by, you know, MPs or special forces or whoever, anyway, whoever did it. And there was a firefight and the alien escaped. And uh, and then the story goes further. Now, that's as far as I got. Uh, now, with the informant, the informant said that a rancher had seen the alien, took a shot at it, and then the alien was buried. Now, I know from a UFO, as a UFO investigator, that there's no way in hell that, that you know, that he's going to bury an alien and the, and the army is just going to let that, you know, be there. No, it's not the case as far as I'm concerned. Um that if there was a firefight there and the alien took off, that they were pursuing it just like they found the debris at Roswell in 47. They pursued it till they found it all. They would be pursuing that too. So if the alien was shot, then the military grabbed him. But the thing is, is what we were looking for, and Daniel and Heather found it, was, was uh, evidence that the military was there. You know, like maybe a, a quick bivouac or something. And that's what we found with uh, the metal detectors, and and some of it was 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 just barely hidden in the ground too. So we definitely knew that that the coordinates that uh, the informant gave me that that was where we found evidence that the military was there, and the evidence seemed pretty old. You know that it would it would date back twenty three twenty some years that you know when it really happened. Yeah, this no, this is um, one of our commenters pointed this out. This is one of the episodes too, one of a few where you guys had some people following you, possibly. No, um, are we talking men in black? Uh, what what was going on with these unmarked cars that seem to be trailing you guys on a few of these investigations? Or what are your theories? I should say it wouldn't be the first time that 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 UFO investigators have been trailed. I've been trailed before. My sister's been trailed. And the vehicles that came up to us uh, in, in Konopah, I later saw one of the vehicles parked. Part, the, the, the air base where we were at, we had permit to be there, and, and it was vacant. But there was a, a part of the air base. There was still a small structure there that, that it ran a small airport. And I saw one of the vehicles there later on. Um, and I was just thinking, well, maybe it's just, you know, security for them or something. But what's really interesting, though, it was a black SUV, SUV Suburban, and we had one, too. And, and after it aired, I got this email from this lady going, you know, shenanigans, shenanigans. <laughs> you guys did it. No, actually, there was another black SUV. There's only one black SUV. In the world. <laughs> yeah. One black Black suburban in the world, and there was another one over there. Um, yeah, and and I personally think that it was the security because I mean we had to get a permit. This was a former military base. I think that they just were curious about what we were doing. But when we pointed the cameras around towards them, they took off. So I don't know, but this isn't the first time. Yeah, it was it was interesting. Now, Heather, I, correct me if I'm wrong. Was this the episode where um, you got to sort of show off your paranormal investigation chops? Is yeah, this, this the one where you went into the, the house? 
Um, so we were at the Tonopah uh, test range, which is yeah. considered to be, you know, people know it as Area 52 because it's it's considered to be the jinx field because a lot of um, a lot of like uh, aircraft training accidents had happened where there was one incident where 200 people died. So you see we're on this, you know, we're in the desert and you see this huge airport hangar. And that's one of the places where I was like, OK, guys, I need to go in there. It has a keep out sign. Look, look at it. There has to be some crazy stuff that has happened in here. So you see me going in there and um, just kind of going in and out of the little rooms. And I find this one room that's, you know, of course the first one I want to go into is the one that's boarded up. Cause I'm, I think there has to be something good in there. Yeah. So I go in and uh, you know, it's just kind of me exploring what, what seems to be somebody's drug den or something. But uh, yeah, that, that was interesting, but I had my FLIR and I was kind of looking around. I didn't really get, in terms of paranormal activity, I didn't really get too much in that area, but it, the whole area overall was pretty uh, creepy. Right. And I mean, wasn't this where Daniel also either saw or possibly heard some sort of creature? I think he was looking, wasn't he looking down into some, uh, it was like a body of water. Yeah, it was like almost like a dam of some sort. Yeah. That was- <laughs> you heard something down there. And then that was the episode too that... Uh, and I have to be honest with you. So, um, you know, we had a we had a showrunner and we had a director, and the director was with us, Mitch, and then a the showrunner um, uh, was was off doing a ten one hundred, basically. And um, and this is at night, and we're inside this this impression, this large impression in the ground where where all these the you know, openings are. I mean, there was an underground facility there, and they were digging it out. There's a lot of places for something to hide there. And so Dan's got the flare and I'm with him. And around this, this 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 dirt berm, we see this kind of image come out on us. And, and we go, what the hell is that? What the hell? Right. Well, no, that's, you know, that's got to be so-and-so, you know, doing his business. And and uh, then we hear his voice off at a distance to my right. And we, what the hell? So we just start running. And we, we're, we're trying to chase it down. And uh, and and then it must have scurried behind the, uh, you know, behind that that dirt mound. And there was a lot of, uh, I don't want to say mines or caves or anything. They're not really caves, but they're underground facilities that they were digging out. So there's a lot of places for something to hide there. And that was pretty cool because uh, we, you know, we captured it on Fleur on Fleur. And my first thought was, you know, it's one of the production team, but it definitely wasn't because you know uh, there was only a couple of us down there, and we found out where the guy was when we yelled. <laughs> so um, that was interesting. That was like, what was that? You know, was it that same creature that that uh, someone had filmed on their dash cam? Now, uh, just to tell any, everybody out there that's watching this, get a dash cam. Yeah. <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. You'd be surprised. You know, you, you ever watch these shows where people go, you know, a Bigfoot ran across my, my truck. Well, you know, if you had a dash cam, you would have caught that. Yes. Problem solved, yeah. <laughs> as soon as dash cams came out, I always had one in my vehicle. If you're going to do any type of investigations at all, or go in any place where there's any type of paranormal activity outdoors, get yourself a, you know, they're very cheap now. Get yourself a dash cam that runs 24-7, and you, you'd be surprised. You might catch something. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And, I, you know, you guys weren't able to catch it that time, but maybe it's still out there if it is out there. And uh, I just hope it's safe. You know, I hope it's uh, keeping a six foot distance from everyone right now as well. <laughs> um, all right. We're moving to my top two favorite. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST episodes um this next one is near and dear to my heart roswell new mexico um i've personally investigated this case i've shared many a notes with heather about uh what we found on our investigation what you guys guys found and it's pretty interesting chuck now this is a a part of the story that not a lot of people have ever heard about and that's um everyone knows about the crashed craft the military cover-up whatever the wreckage was shipped off to Wright-Patterson, Area 51, wherever, whatever base you want to say it's at now. But a lot of people don't think about the pieces that hundreds of army or military people who are out there on the crash site, picking piece after piece up off the ground. Um, Maybe something got into someone's pocket accidentally. Um, So when it comes to this, uh, I was really really impressed with this map that was given to you where possibly some of the wreckage from the roswell ufo crash where it may still be housed so yeah can you tell us a little about how you came to find uh this big development in the roswell case for, first and foremost roswell's like like the very first type of investigation i started doing when i got involved in ufology and when i lived in california Anytime we went on investigate, or anytime we went on on any type of uh, of a family trip, you know, vacation, it was always by way of Roswell. I mean, you could ask Daniel that, <laughs> my kids, or my wife. And so um, I learned from a very you know long time ago. You know, all the key players, Walter Hodd and and Glenn Dennis, and and then got to meet the you know the investigators there, and. So I got involved in, in investigating the debris site. Now, for people who don't really understand what happened out there, is what we think what happened is there was two craft that were that were next to each other. There was a thunderstorm going on that night. They were flying over Roswell, Roswell Army Air Force Base, or, or um, I think it was called also Walker Base at the time was our, our only strategic air command base. So it was a pretty popular base. Matter of fact, that's where the crew of the Nola Gay trained. So uh, that kind of tells you how sophisticated that base was. So these two UFOs are flying over the base. 
there's a, a, a thunderstorm going on, a horrific thunderstorm going on, and either they collide or something. There's theory to that. They were hit by direct beam radars because back in the day, direct beam radar is no different than our microwave radar. And if you want to see an object off at a distance, you just turn up the juice. So, you know, they were being triangulated by three different radio, radar stations. The juice was turned up to try and focus on them during the thunderstorm, the sliding strike. Anyway, one went down to Plains of St. Augustine and one over by Corona Roswell. And it was a skip. That's what the debris side is. It came down, skipped. And as it's skipping, about three miles, it was turning a bit. And there was a hole in the side, and an alien or two fell out with some debris. And then 17 miles later, it sort of impacted over by the um, – I just drew a blank on the mountains. But anyway, that's where Boy Scout Mountain is. Mm-hmm. And, and so we know there was debris everywhere. And the military picked up the debris at the debris site. And then there was a, a second site where there was debris. And this is where we think – the uh, ranchers had found it. Now, my sister Debbie and I had gone out there a few times, and we actually dressed up one time as geologists, uh, asking the locals there where you know where there were sinkholes or caves or anything like that, because th- that story's been around for a while through locals. It's not a lot of it's been publicized, but you know if you're an investigator, you know talk to the locals; they all talk about it. And so that's what we were trying to do. That was a few years ago, so it was kind of cool. When, when I was able to, to nail it down, we had a map that we got from an informant, and then we tested that map against um, expertise with uh, um, Don Schmidt, who I've known for a long time, who was uh, you know Roswell investigator, researcher, and uh, he was actually trained under J. Allen Hynek, so you know he's a heck of a guy. So we actually brought him in, too, and he said, well, you know, I'll tell you, that map's kind of, you know, but, but you should look here. And I had heard about both places. I'd never seen the map before. I knew that there was something out there. So it was really cool to to go there and and, uh, and try and look for, you know, uh, a cave or something. And then when we got pinpointed back closer, which was about three miles away from the debris site, which makes sense from the eyewitnesses right. that, we had, <laughs> that we had witnessed or we had interviewed, uh, Fawn, Fawn uh, Fritz, who was uh, the, the granddaughter of uh, of of Mac Brazel was, you know, was the one that told us about, you know, that Pacific site too. And so um, way cool. And, you know, what was interesting about that was we knew there were caves there. When we got there, unfortunately, um, the, uh, you know, the person who said that there was a cave there for us to investigate the cave had been, you know, they used explosions and dynamite and dynamite at the entrance and then so we were we're looking we knew that that whole place had caves and uh Daniel knocked it out of the park on that one you know Heather and I are you know we're investigating these these two openings that that were blocked you know cave openings that were blocked and Daniel took off with Neil the cameraman like he always does and he starts showing hey god hey you know anyway and sure enough you know he he found an opening he found a cave and that would make sense from what the witness described, the cave was pretty large. You wouldn't hide Roswell debris in something that was obvious. Right. You would hide it in something that was less obvious, like a smaller cave opening. And that was the we were at the right place. And it was just like, oh, my gosh, history. All this is coming back at once right at us. Right. And, I mean, when you guys did find the opening, um, that's when, you know, it was time to really – try to focus on, well, let's try to see what's down there. 
And um, this is kind of where, you know, the drama of the episode hits. And I know a lot of people probably watching this, um, including myself, were wondering, you know, you guys kind of got stymied on your investigation by the owners of the property. Uh, they didn't want you there any longer or digging or anything. So, um, yeah, what was that like, that whole experience? You, you're you there, you have, you found something that could be, you know, history changing. And then, boom, no, sorry, you got to go. How? What was that like? Well, I'll let Heather take this one. Okay. So. It was a total letdown. I mean, we got so far and, and this guy right off the bat, there's just something off about him because he's like, you know, he's real excited for us to be there and try to find this cave. Yet at the same time, he keeps talking about how his family wants it to remain a secret and how, you know, uh, growing up, his grandma always told him not to go near this one area because they figured it was where this debris was hidden. So it, it, it was, it really sucked to like at the end when we're finally like realizing we really found a cave we can't go any further. You know, he comes rolling in and says, you know, we have to stop. We have to think about my family and, and we don't want you to go any further. So it, it was a bummer, but I mean, it was an amazing experience. That's one. We definitely, it would be amazing to go back to and actually just dig up his whole property and see what we find. <laughs> right. I mean, is that a possibility? Um, is, or is this it? Are we done at this area where wreckage might possibly be? Oh no, not not at all. Because um, what it, what it was, and it was a little more dramatic on TV that that you know really happened. But I think what was going on was uh, if we found debris, what that what would that mean to the people uh, you know you know living there? And I can't tell you whether or not it's a mo- you know monetary type of thing, like oh I got alien debris because there's you know there's a lot of organizations out there that'll pay you a million two million dollars for you know absolute proof of, of, of a of flying craft, you know, UFO or flying saucer or whatever. Now, or there's also cases where if you do find something, the men in black show up or I don't want the men in black. I mean, there's, there's always kind of different aspects of men in black. Are the aliens or other, you know, or do they work with the government? I, I think they more work for the government There maybe a combination. I don't, yeah. but, 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 you know, but still they have, you know, people have been visited by these, you know, the, the guy that I talked about earlier, that had you know show they actually had evidence of a, of a daylight cattle mutilation. Uh, you know his house was broken into the next day and things were stolen, uh, and you know including the camera and it was ransacked. So somebody was monitoring that and then monitoring the fact that he monitored that. That's why he doesn't want to talk about it. So this is the case with that rancher there too. If we find something, what's what's what does that mean for them? What's going to happen? And yeah. so I uh, I think after talking to the family, the decision the decision was. Well, let's hold off a bit. And I talked to him afterwards. Uh, Daniel I, and, and, and Heather was with us also. And, and he basically said, you know, you know, he gave us permission to come back. Because if we come back again, we weren't really prepared because we were prepared to, uh, to go into a cave. You know, Daniel and I had, you know, had the gear. And Daniel was going to go in and, you know, uh, and, you know, I was going to, you know, uh, hold the rope. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going in there. Let Daniel go. In there. <laughs> Hold my beer, Dad. Hold my rope. <laughs> oh, I mean, you know, he's he's more fit than I am. <laughs> but but after, but we realized that we just didn't have the gear to do that, and uh, and we were already at the end of that shoot, and so we did get permission if we wanted to to come back, and this time we would come back, you know, with proper gear, some big machinery, and actually get in there. Now, what didn't make the show because. Everybody had stopped 
Um, I don't know if you, you can see the hole off in the background over here. And then um, that's how Daniel found it originally. And then, and then we were able to dig it out further. And when we looked inside and had a GoPro in there and stuck Heather's head inside there, she's looking around. <laughs> um, it, it, went, it, went, it went way back. Okay. And, and we knew that that was, you know, there's a, there's a big cave complex there. And so if it wasn't that hole, there's plenty of other holes around there. But the thing was, it's so production left in, in that black, S, you know, suburban. And then my truck's parked there. You know, I have around 1,500 Rebels, so it's a, it's a fairly heavy truck. So it's sitting there. And I'm throwing gear in the back. And just after the suburban left, as I walked up, opened the door of, of the driver's door, my whole body lifted like this. I went up and down on the ground. I'm standing on the ground. And I got lifted up off the ground and back on the ground. The ground actually moved, and, and my heart just kind of like stopped there. Going sinkhole was the first thing I was thinking of. I'm like, mm. "Oh my God, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna drop into a sinkhole." And you can ask Heather that you know, Dad, because here they they saw this like shocked look on my face when what's wrong. And I'm going, "I just got lifted off the ground when that when the suburban left. That means it's hollow underneath, a lot hollow." And uh, so I carefully got the, you know in the truck and and, and we backed out of there. And, uh, man, I tell you, so when we go back, depending on the type of, if we go back, the uh, type of equipment we bring, we have to make sure it's not too heavy, I guess. Yeah, this is by far one of my favorite episodes. Just, again, this is the the case, the seminal case in UFO history. So the fact that you even got to, like, be where a UFO possibly crashed and was recovered, um, that's a powerful thing. I, I know when I stepped foot on the supposed crash site i mean just like decades of history just started flooding through me so that was really cool heather what did you make i mean being a paranormal investigator you now were like thrown into uh thrown in with the wolves here investigating the biggest ufo case of all time so like any pressure or like what'd you go in thinking of the whole roswell oh my god i mean it it was completely amazing you know and from the start reading about it and researching about it i definitely agree that it you know there were a lot of things covered up um as you guys probably agree too there's a lot of unanswered questions so going into this for me it was amazing to interview one of the proctors and get confirmation that you know they didn't keep debris because that was a rumor going around you know that they they were hiding debris so uh it was just really cool to go to the debris site and actually stand there with the proctors and and just see them looking around and taking it all in and uh, it, it was it was incredible. I remember like picking up rocks and being like, "Yeah, you know? <laughs> uh, it was incredible." Like, not many people can say they get to go to the debris site, and and it was funny because I was going through one of my recorders, and um, I was transcribing the Sandy Proctor interview, and I left the recorder on when we were in your um, truck, Chuck, and we were going to the debris site trying to find it, and. It's just really funny hearing us talk because I'm like, wait, I don't see anything because I, I was assuming there was going to be like a little pipe marker where the debris site was. And, <laughs> and Chuck, you just go, what do you think we're going to see like a crashed UFO? And we just start laughing. Well, it was really cool because my sister and I years ago tried to to talk to D Proctor, his older brother. And uh, when we got to that area where Sandy Proctor lives, that's where D lives or lived. You know, there was these big signs that says, you know, trespass, trespassers will be shot. And he was a pretty reserved guy back in the day. So we didn't get a chance to actually meet D. We, uh, so it was a real pleasure for me to meet Sandy. Now, you know, an earlier TV show I did for uh, the uh, Sci-Fi Channel, 
uh, my sister and I actually found a piece of debris at the debris site. We were doing an archaeology dig there back in 2000, and, I, and um, I had that debris analyzed under electron scanning microscope. This is probably about 10 microns um, diameter. So this thing was an aluminum silicon alloy, and it had it was like little explosion type of holes in it and stuff when we looked at it under electron scanning microscope. And it was trace elements of titanium a little bit here and a little bit there. And that was really cool. And so, um, so I, you know, I've been around that whole area. And, and, and this thing was analyzed actually by Bass, by, by Bigelow Aerospace. Uh, within the first week uh, that they analyzed it, they said it was uh, uh, an unknown polymer based on the catalog of polymers in their lab. doesn't mean it's unknown to the planet. It just means it was unknown to the most popular polymers. And I said, well, what's next? They said, well, isopropyl analysis. And that's the last I ever heard of Bigelow. <laughs> a year later, they got back in and they said, oh, it was nothing. Of course, we know about Bigelow being part of the Pentagon and being, you know, being funded part of the Pentagon. And that's about that same time he was being funded. So it was interesting now, now that I know what was going on at the time, I thought, what the heck is he doing? So we had also heard about that story where that debris was, so it was actually cool to go back to or go to that site because I never got an opportunity to visit that ranch because I didn't exactly know where it was. Yeah, yeah. I think it was, again, these television shows, they provide opportunities for investigators um, to have resources they might not usually have. So, I mean, it in one respect, yeah, it's television, it's entertainment, but in another respect, it's really cool to um, – to have that opportunity. I mean, I was able to get possible wreckage from the debris site um, analyzed at an aerospace lab. That's something that I never in my wildest dreams thought I would be somewhat a part of. And um, just like you, we had really interesting results when it came to what um, uh, this gentleman uh, brought to us. So um, I think it's really cool that you guys got to visit one of the, you know, most elusive UFO cases of all time. And um, you also got to tackle one of the most mysterious places of all time. You did mention Bob Bigelow. So we're, we're going strong. We're going to end with what actually was your premiere episode, yep. um, which I think was a really smart thing to do on uh, the network's, <laughs> you know, decision to do that is um, boom, we're going to Skinwalker Ranch. So this is the hot, hot topic right now, you know, in terms of everything, bass and a tip and some of the money that was used for the secret pentagon ufo program actually most of it was given to um bigelow to investigate skinwalker ranch so heather had you heard of this place um what do you what did you make of skinwalker ranch before going there and uh what were your expectations i guess going to the ranch i mean going into this i knew that there this was regarded as a true hot spot for not only ufo activity but paranormal activity that you know, scientists couldn't even really explain. So I knew going into it, it was going to be big. I wish we could have got behind that gate though, but uh, yeah. Yeah. amazing evidence. We didn't have to, again, to be, you know, a person like me, that's always read about these places to be able to go there. You never imagine that that's going to happen. And then you get to go and it, it was incredible. And it's, you know, it's all documented on television, so I can always revisit it. <laughs> that's such a good point. It's, immortal at this point. Um, Chuck, how about you, man? Had you ever been out um, to the area of the ranch before in your past investigations? And uh, yeah, what was I, it like going there? I've been in that area, but I've never been at the ranch because I've done some investigations from Colorado into Utah and then over by Vernal. 
um, but not actually where where we were. And so that was it was a really it was it was a plus for me. What was cool about that is is this was one of the ones that I that I uh, brought to the attention of Rick. I said, "Because well, where do you want to go?" And I said, "Well, I I've, I've been getting contacts from a couple different people." that there's stuff going on outside the Skinwalker Ranch. You don't have to be at the ranch. You know, sort of like, you know, San Luis Valley. You know, Blanca Peak is where, where you know, the first uh, horse mutilation, you know, Snippy the horse. But you don't have to be at Blanca Peak. The whole San Luis Valley is hot. Same thing over there. You don't have to be at the ranch because there's a lot of stuff happening out the ranch, you know, outside within – 10, 15, 20 miles outside the ranch. Right. The whole place is hot. And so that was one of the things I said, I don't want to actually go into the ranch. Don't even worry about that. But there's 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 so much going outside the ranch that I know we're going to come up with something. And we did. A lot of legends say that there are these huge um, dog-like beasts out there. And uh, you guys might have captured it. So what, what did you think when you first saw that video for the first time? Well, for, there's a little bit of a backstory first. No, that's a. I have a couple of Moultrie game cameras, and um, and just by talking to to hunters, and um, I decided to buy Moultrie because it was a better camera, and that's what I was using. There was a case in Missouri where um, two of our cameras, two of my cameras, were messed with, and um, and and anyway, Heaven knows all about this. But the first <laughs> thing I thought was first thing I did is I blamed the production company. Because I thought, okay, they're just trying to manipulate evidence to make a good TV show. Okay, this was our first episode, okay, or one of our first episodes. So I'm still trying to fill out the whole experience of having, you know, uh, being on a TV show. Right. So that wasn't the case, you know, after after we, you know, we figured out, you know, that the production crew was anywhere near it. Then we thought, okay, maybe it was a witness or whatever. So... It turns out we don't know what happened and, and who messed with, with our, our cameras, but there was definitely footprints there. The thing was, is so since then, any time that, that Daniel and I would place a camera, we tied it in a certain way. We put the batteries in a certain way that we knew that if anybody messed with the camera, that we would have evidence that we knew it. And then, and then all the evidence that was on the camera would just be nothing, right? I would have to disregard it as a UFO investigator because that's, that's what I do. Now, this case, I'm, I'm there watching this, and I see that. And if, and if you, and you almost, I don't know if you can almost see. Go back, go back, go back, go back. And then, if, I don't know, maybe a little bit later on, I'm, I'm kind of like looking at the, off at a distance a little bit. Well, if you watch that clip, it's because I'm thinking, I don't believe what I just saw. Someone effed with our cameras. Production company got in there and effed with it. And I'm thinking through my mind, okay, how could they have done it? How could they have done it? Well, no, when Daniel and I picked up the camera that morning, we checked the camera to see whether or not we looked at the camera and we placed it there. And everything that we placed there was us. You know, nothing was manipulated on the camera. Then I got thinking, oh, wait, the camera was in my truck. And then Neil, just, just not long before that, Hey, do you have that SD card? And so I gave him the SD card. There's no way that production could have manipulated that CG or anything. But I'm running it all through my head when I'm watching this, going, that can't be real. That can't be real. And even now when I'm watching this, I get I get goose pimples because it's like that's real evidence. That is absolute real evidence. And you know, when people watch that, it's just like, oh well, you know, they manipulate. No, we didn't manipulate it. And I, I keep going through my mind each time how that could have been manipulated 
and I can't come up with a reason. So I'm trying to debunk that old, you know, I've been still trying to debunk that evidence and I can't, there's no way. Yeah. I mean, it, it literally looks like this thing appeared out of thin air, materialized out of nowhere. I mean, Heather, what did you make of this when you first saw it? I mean, when we first saw it, I was like, what? Like, there's no way. Because first of all, what the heck is it? Second of all, you know, you see clearly on the camera and they didn't even show all the footage, but you can see where if a car or a truck goes by, you can see where it's triggered. And, you know, we had we had like what the camera had, like 168 hits or something for the, mm-hmm. the, the one of the whole cameras. So we had a lot of footage of just cars going by. And you can see none of them just appeared in the middle of the screen like this, this footage. So it's still like, I don't know if we'll ever really be able to explain it. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's, and I've used these Moultrie cameras a lot. Um, I started off with Bushnell and I'm not blaming Bushnell at all. <laughs> <laughs> I, went, I just went to a higher level camera and uh, like I just ordered another higher level camera earlier this year. I haven't got it yet. Don't tell my wife, but um <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, is, is I've used them. I've used them in Bigfoot investigations. I've used them in cattle mutilation investigations. And every single time you can see the animal come in scene and, and leave scene or come in scene and stay there or whatever. Nothing ever just appears. And out of, and I've been using these for years, started off with Bushnell, but I've been using things for years and I've never, ever, ever experienced that. That's why the first thing in my, you know, my mind, my first thought was we're getting effed with someone screwing with us. And then I keep, even without the production company knowing I took the footage that night on my computer and I, and I ran it slide by slide by slide by slide to see if even after I, I, I figured out there was no way they could have done it. Still that night, I went through each slide to see if the snow coming down, if there was a little, you know, like a splice or something in there, and there there wasn't. And I'm going, my God, I mean, this is this is real, this is crazy. And even to this day, like I'm going, we captured a, a real phenomenon. Yeah, you you captured that, and you, I mean, there were random gunshots you guys heard throughout the evening. Um, there was also. Um, what one of the other big stunning pieces of video evidence I think you came across was the these beams of light coming up over the mountain range. This was really interesting. So I guess Heather, we'll start with you. What did you make of these lights that you guys saw over the mountain range? Man, I mean, you can tell by my reaction that I was just so excited because you know we're standing there and you can just see a, a far away shadow of of Dan up on this mountain, and you're wondering like you know what's he doing up there? And then, and then all of a sudden you just see the whole sky just light up and pulsate orange. And then above it, you can see this white, it almost looks like a doorway, like a white beam. And it's, it's the thing that for decades people have been seeing and, and to think that we actually saw it and it happened numerous times. And we're all just saying like, what in the world is going on? Where are we? Right. And I know, you know, Daniel got so excited. He freaking booked it to try to get up the mountain range to see what was on the other side, because as a viewer, that's immediately where my mind went. I was like, what, what's on the other side? Is there like um, a huge building or a f- something? But I mean, you guys were in the middle of nowhere. So um, is that something we can easily push away that that's what it was? Like lights coming from a building of any sort? Oh, no, no, not at all. And, and I got to give you a little bit of a backstory to this. Okay, cool. 
the uh, the directors were, were basically saying the showrunner saying, okay, um, we have to you know Travel Channel told you know told us that we have to do at least a couple night investigations, even though it's minus ten degrees outside. But that's okay. That's we're investigators. That's what we do, and uh, and so. We were supposed to do a night investigation at the crossroads, where where this was seen, right? And I'm and I'm thinking no because we interviewed a couple of people at the graveyard that had a paranormal experience, a creature experience, and and, and there was all kinds of stuff happening there. And as it turns out, Skinwalker Ranch is here, the graveyard is here, the crossroads is over here. So this is the middle. If something's going back and forth, or we might capture it there. And we went back and forth and back and forth. And Daniel and I, we, you know, we stuck to our guns, so to speak. We didn't pull any guns on them. We just <laughs> stuck to our guns. And and um, we said, no, no, we, we need to, to be at the cemetery. I just have this feeling that something's going to happen there that night. And um, my gosh, you know, we were there and, uh, and, and kudos to the production crew because once they got there, they kind of figured out where to, what we're going to do. I mean, Heather, of course, I mean, we picked up EVPs in a graveyard that, that boy, that's Heather's area. And we had a sound person with her, you know, with his high tech stuff to see if he could pick up anything. I'm over by the fence where something came through the fence based on eyewitnesses. We put Daniel up on the ridge with Neil again, poor Neil, you know, and in case anything happens, he's our lookout. He's going to see if anything's coming in towards us. And as it turns out, everything was happening. You know, um, he saw he saw a, a, a shadow or some type of figure coming in. I'm talking him to you know over the two way because I don't know it could be a guy. I don't know, maybe I don't know, but it's coming in. And and then of course Neil's got a really expensive camera. Daniel's using my $500 night vision camera, right? So you know Neil really captured what was going on. And then uh, and then the light coming up and I we know we know that 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 area that they not that general area but a way off the distance of miles away off the distance that um, they're drilling oil and sometimes they 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 have a a, a, a methanol burst and so they they burn the methanol and that glows and that's the first thing that I thought you know in my mind but that I knew that area was where the skinwalker ranch was and we were just there the day before, the day before that, and there was no oil drilling around that area, but it was the beam of light that was coming up through that. Now, if it was just blowing off some some methane, you wouldn't have that beam of light. And I'm looking at it, and I'm talking to Heather, and she's looking at it, and everybody sees it, and it's like, what the heck is that? It doesn't make sense. And all of a sudden, you know, my debunking tools are like, I can't debunk that because that's that's not blowing off methane, the, or you wouldn't have that beam of light. What the hell's going on? Yeah, I mean, there's kind of like no words when you're in a situation like that. You're immediately thrilled, but at the same time, there's no words. Like there's nothing. You're just like, what am I seeing? Like it was bizarre. And also right. to mention too, we for, we forgot to include that I was standing there with this animal collar, and oh, yeah. it was so loud that Dan was up on this mountaintop and he, he could hear it and it was echoing off the mountain. He, he thought it was like right behind him. So I had to turn it down. But I mean, I remember doing that right before we heard uh, the growl picked up in the microphone. So well, the, wolf, the wolf coming in could have been 
answering to your your animal. Exactly. Yeah. 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 You you became yeah. the prey. <laughs> yeah. Right. I always get myself in this situation. Yeah. Right. But, but as investigators, which is really cool, because you know you, you you watch these shows on TV, and and they see something and they go UFO or that's a ghost or this is that or that is that you know, and without sitting there thinking you're trying to debunk what they're thinking you're trying to explain you're trying to figure out and i think at that particular time especially with with the wolf and and then even the 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 figure we saw tonopah the lights we saw in missouri that's all real-time stuff happening to us and and it's like we're trying to figure out what it is we're on camera you know we're both professional investigators we want to be the first to say no that's not what we think it is now we did debunk a couple of lights in Missouri that that you know that the witness was seeing that they were porch lights off at a distance, but it turned out that he had you know PTSD and, and everything was happening to him. But we get these situations, you're trying to debunk it, and 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 like with Heather saying, we're just like in awe trying to figure out what the heck's going on. And the best part is, is we're filming it. <laughs> you know, multiple cameras too. It's great. Multiple cameras. You know, we got we got. Two cameras on it, you know, besides, well, three, including mine. But, you know, and then Daniel's up on, on the ridge, which is perfect because I'm, I'm, I'm on a talking with Daniel going, Dan, Dan, get over there. Find out where that light's coming from. And he's hightailing it at night, late at night, running on top of a ridge. <laughs> you know, Crazy, not, man. has not. no idea what he's going to see on the other side. Trying to, find, trying to find out what it is. And then the light goes out. Yeah, and, yeah. And, you know, if and, and methane burnoffs glow for a long, long time. Yeah, and, and they're they're just not. So we know something's going on there, and and not only at the ranch but outside the ranch too. And oh yeah, I'm the first one you know that wants to go back. Um, after, I mean, you can ask Heather a question, but I have a follow up that I'd like to to a backstory. But I don't want to take Heather's time. Oh, in terms of Skinwalker, yeah. Yeah, cool. I mean, Heather, my only other question, I guess, with Skinwalker is, um, you know, where your paranormal investigative skills came in. I mean, you you had a graveyard right in the middle of the ranch. So, like, what was it like? I mean, this isn't your typical graveyard or haunted house, I would say. You're in, like, a living laboratory of weirdness. So, like, how, how do you how do you deal with something like that? Yeah, I mean, I got the best of both worlds being <laughs> being out there. Um, I mean, I don't know. It's just you're, you just get so in the moment. It just, there's no thinking. You just go for it. So yeah. I don't even, I, I don't know how to answer that because you never know what's going to happen in this field. It's just things happen. And you're wondering, did I catch that on camera? Please tell me I caught that on camera. <laughs> that just, is the most, so yeah. The, yeah. The thing about that graveyard, which is, it's cool. It's, it's a community graveyard. You don't need a permit for you really don't know who's buried there. It's for people like, and I think it's it's actually on Indian Indian reservation land too. But uh, it's it's a community graveyard where, you know, if someone passes away, the family just buries them. And uh, so who knows what's going on there? But um, the uh, oh sure, I was going to talk about a backstory. Now I just <laughs> just. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Lost in the mind. <laughs> oh no, man! Hey, there's so much oh, we can yeah. talk about. Oh, no, you got it. 
Now I remember. Oh, let's do it, please. I was so intrigued with what Heather was saying. <laughs> you can tell like, you yeah. guys work well together. And she caught something, and then our, our our game cameras caught stuff. Our game camera, oh my God, picked up a conversation. And oh, that's right. In the yeah. and that Was that in the episode? Go. I forgot about that. There's just so much that happens that we, we don't. Found, we got more stuff in one episode than... Ghost Hunters and, and Ghost Adventures, no offense to them, have, have picked up in two or three episodes. And yet we had so much stuff we, we couldn't put it. No offense to Zach or those guys, because I was on Ghost Adventures once. But <laughs> I don't want Zach coming after me because he pretty much owns Travel Channel. But, um, <laughs> but we got the opportunity and I, to, to meet a Native American elder, Ute elder. And uh, I interviewed him on, on camera um, but that didn't make it on the show. There's just too much going on. You only have 42, 46 minutes or whatever. Right. And we probably shot 15 hours. But the thing is, is I got this opportunity to meet this Native American elder and talk to him about real stuff. Now, we talked off camera first about what he can say and what he can't say because he was under the permission of, of the youth council to be able to speak with us. Okay. And he can, and he basically there's certain things that you can't talk about, and then um, Nialushi Skinwalker, you don't, you can't use the name pretty much because that's inviting a Skinwalker, and uh, that and they don't like that. Ye Nialushi is the the Navajo name for Skinwalker. I know I'm mispronouncing it, so I apologize to anybody who can speak. He speaks Navajo out there, but so I'm talking to him. I said, so. Um, we, we know that there's a, a name, a Native American name for Bigfoot, Sasquatch, and there's other names too. And do you have, a, does a U tribe have a name for Bigfoot? Because Bigfoot's been seen in that area too. And he goes, yeah, it's part of that. You know, I'm going, wow. I go, what about UFOs? Do you, does the U tribe have a, a name for UFOs? And he goes, yeah, it's da 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 da. And I went, wow, that's really interesting. I went, what about gray aliens? He goes, yeah, it's part of that. And I'm going, what? The U tribe? has got a Ute name for a gray alien, not just aliens, but for a specific gray alien. He goes, yeah. And he goes, oh, I can't talk about that on camera. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I just, I'm just like totally fascinated with this. Now I go, how, how old is that name? He goes, oh, it's generations. I'm going, so the Ute tribe has got a name for a gray alien that's been passed through generations. And he goes, yeah, I'm going, that's awesome. <laughs> and that's the guy out, yeah. too. Do you remember his experience? He he saw a UFO and um, it emitted this red light. And for two weeks after he saw it, he felt the sensation of electricity going throughout his body. Do you remember that? Yeah, and he also he also talked about there was a Bigfoot sighting in the same area too. Um, and but for for the for the Native Americans, at least the ones that I've talked to, Apaches, Navajos, Utes, uh, it's no big deal to them to talk about UFOs. Two weeks, three weeks, three weeks ago, I got this email from a Native American investigator, UFO investigator. This is the second time in the past couple of years I've got this type of, of of sighting. We're talking, I don't want to say Mothman, but it's a it's a winged hybrid, and. Uh, this was in New Mexico, second time, not the same reservation, different one. So there's something flying around out there, too, that's that's scary. And so, you know, doing UFO investigations and stuff, and, you know, we deal in UFOs, paranormal, creatures, all kinds of stuff. 
uh, you know, you got to watch your back because you really don't know, you know, what's, what's what's out there. You know, and and I'm not knocking parent, you know, ghost investigations because I mean, you know, there's there's uh, you know evil apparitions and demons and all kinds of stuff that they could knock you down off of stairs and stuff. But um, I don't want to be picked up and eaten. You know. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that, that's a good point. I think what people have to keep in mind is, yeah, I mean, these shows they have to be structured or scripted to an extent. I mean, that's television, but at the same time, like. There's no guarantee that you guys are 100% safe when you're going into these investigations. Oh, I mean, Daniel running over a, you know, a mountain um, in the middle of the night, like anything could happen or uh, something could attack you guys. There's predators everywhere near Skinwalker Ranch. So that's interesting. Another, another quick backstory. The very first time we were with the production crew, Daniel and I, um, because I, I'm a I was I'm a former reserve deputy for eight years, and Daniel at the time was a a, a full full time uh, peace officer. I don't really want to say what district he's with or anybody, but um, so we both have law enforcement. Daniel a lot more experience than me because he was active, and and so before before we even started shooting the very first episode, it was really funny. We put the law down. We basically stood in front of the whole production company. Says. Okay, uh, we know we have a director and a showrunner here, but if anything happens, you know, anything out of the normal, anything that happens that could that could cause harm or put anybody's lives at jeopardy, and Dan's the one that's talking, says we're the ones in charge. And, and it was so funny to see the director and the showrunner look at us like, wait a minute, we're in charge. No, you're not. We're in charge. And the reason we're in charge is because we're both caring. Daniel we're both carried concealed through through every episode. I didn't in California because my concealed carry permit doesn't doesn't acknowledge California, but everybody else. So we're both carrying full time, right? Daniel could because he's full time. And so we said, because we can protect you. Now there was a case in Missouri, you mentioned gunshots. There was gunshots out there. Now it was a couple houses down. We we're in the house and there was some gunshots, but the gunshots were in the direction of where we were going to be shooting. And so Dan felt compelled to come. He goes, you know, Dad goes, look, we just we got to do a quick safety safety meeting real quick before we go there. I go, you're in charge, big guy, and literally because he's big. And and so he says, look, this is a deal. When we're there, and and we hear you know shots fired, we're in charge. You don't listen to anybody but us, okay? Because we're the only two that can protect you. And. And then, and we'll have instructions for you. And of course, Dan says, you know, we'll we'll, we'll tell you where to go. For Dan, what he did when we got there, scoped the whole area out and and ahead of time, and, and saw where the safe places would be for the production crew. Because not only as investigators do we have to protect ourselves, we have to protect the people on our team. We have to protect, you know, the production crew now too. And so we were ready to rock and roll. And that happened in Tonopah. That happened in, in you know in in Utah also. You know. So, um, yeah, so when you do UFO investigations, especially a field investigator, I don't go anywhere with, without carrying concealed. I, I got a 12-gauge with, uh, with slugs for any time I do Bigfoot investigations. Not for Bigfoot. <laughs> you shoot them, you'll just piss them off. And it's for mountain lions and bears. You know, and I'm not going to shoot them, basically, unless they're attacking me. But I always carry either a 45 or 40, a, you know, a 380 or something, you know. that. Uh, me too. <laughs> I it's like the the Boy Scouts uh, mantra: always be prepared. Heather, though, she'll just tell them a, a scary ghost story, and they'll just yeah. 
<laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> well, um, so that is that's all the episodes of the show's guide, uh, guys. But um, we did have a couple listener questions, and these come from a very special guest who um, sent these to me. Um, so Heather, I'm going to hit you with this this one oh first. Goodness. All right. Um, let's see here. I guess this is for both of you. What were your guys' favorite song to sing with Dan while driving to the next <laughs> location? Do you guys remember what this song oh was? Because I know what it is. It's the Rubber Band Man song, isn't it? Ding, ding, ding. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> Good job. Guess who that came from? That would be from Dan. Oh, I wonder. <laughs> Daniel did reach out to me last night and he sent in some questions. Um, I'm sorry I didn't get him on here, but he's been commenting all night, um, keeping up with us in the commentary. So, Daniel, thank you so much for joining us, man. Yeah, you know, and uh, everybody's got to remember that uh, Daniel is sitting at Fort Bliss, Texas. He, he's uh, an MP for Colorado National Guard, and he was supposed to be deployed to Afghanistan this year. Uh, but because of the COVID crisis, he's been sitting for the past month, um, which my wife and I are really happy that he's not in Afghanistan. But, you know, he's sitting there and, and they're hunkered down, too. So, you know, they're going through the same thing that civilians are going through by not being able to, you know, he, you know, be with other people, basically. But, you know, you got to give him, the, you know, good job, Dan. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, Daniel. Thank you so much, man. And, hey, if you're looking for something to do, just watch um, – uh, Alien Highway. I know it's available to stream, so he can uh, rewatch um, everything that you guys all did there and relive the memories. Um, here's another one for you, Heather. This other unknown person wants to know, um, what was your favorite location that you and Dan did an EBP session at? Do you remember this? Not necessarily in the show. Oh, no, I do remember this. I'm just trying to think of where it was. Oh, my gosh. It was the, uh, the uh, Mitzpah Hotel. Boom. You got it. <laughs> yeah. Testing <totally>. you guys. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Awesome. Anything, anything come of that, that you're willing to share with us or? Um, we actually had the thermal cam and we shined it towards the bathroom and we did actually pick up a shadow, but we don't have the footage. Not session. But we did catch something. You could see the shadow of something standing in the bathroom. Oh, interesting. Ooh, yeah. That's a little creepy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I've got just some um, closing questions, you know, um, besides the show, just some stuff I wanted to personally ask you guys. Oh, I also want to add, um, Daniel did tell me what his most memorable investigation or um, moment of evidence was for him personally. And I'm sure viewers would like to know this. Um, he said, to be honest, the Missouri orbs were actually, that was it for him. Um, when we interviewed Steve, I thought he was full of shit. I've been to multiple interview and interrogation courses as a cop, and I didn't believe him one bit. But then when I see red orbs and literally chase after them and they disappear, unreal. Being a skeptic and seeing things I can't explain is what made it really exciting for me. So that's cool hearing that from, you know, probably the most skeptical person on the show. You know, and as his dad, it was really a big moment for me. You know, I remember the first time that I saw, you know, a craft, first time I saw balls of light, first time I saw Bigfoot footprints in the snow. You know, that was a big game changer for me. And and to see Dan, to, you know, I, to see Dan's face, and um, I, it was just a reflection of probably what my face looked like when I experienced, you know, those things for the first time too. And, and, I, and I thought... 
I am so sorry. Because <laughs> <laughs> now you're ruined. <laughs> now you're just like the rest of us. You know, you got, you know, yeah, you pulled them in. <laughs> and and it, it was so crazy there. We had so much footage. I actually have footage on, on, on my own camera that I released on uh, on my website. There was so much going on there. Dan literally chased after it. And there was a second time uh, where where the light was was moving like this, and and Heather saw it. And this was we did an experiment. I didn't make it on t- on TV either, but we did another flashing light experiment. This time we used our headlamps that we have on our far. You know, they have a strobe function, so we just held them and strobed it, and it turned off the strobe to see if anything. And sure enough, this light's going boom, 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 just like a few minutes later. So that experiment worked, and I have it on camera, and Heather's going. I'm yelling at Heather, going, Heather, can you see that? And Heather goes, I can see it. And then I goes, yeah. Where are you? Dad takes off running for it. <laughs> I remember too, I saw the first light and I didn't say anything. It was like right mid tree line level. I didn't say anything because I was like, what the heck did I just see? Yeah. And then the second one, we all see it. And then the third one is just like, I, I'm, I was really surprised that didn't make the episode. Well, like I said, there was, there was so much stuff. And then my sister was there when she was there before, you know, when, when the investigation came to me. And shot, you know, she was using, um, if anybody out there wants a really good camera, uh, the Psyonix camera uh, is, a, is a really good, uh, made by Aurora. Not that I'm pitching it, but they just came out with a new Aurora Pro. I special ordered it in February and sometime this month or, you know, in May I'll get it. But um, it's a really great night vision camera that uses a lot of starlight. And we were capturing some really, really good stuff. She had sent me something just before we showed up that these lights were underwater. So it's just crazy. That's it. And then um, I just talked to her you know, a month or so ago, and there's still stuff going on there. So that that would be definitely, if we had a second season, you know, that would definitely be a place we want to go back to because, oh, there was a neighbor down the street that had security cameras. Um, that didn't make it on the show either. And you can see the <sighs> come down to the barn and go around the barn and take off. That's amazing to me. I mean, you guys, it's like you had too much that couldn't, yeah. they couldn't put it on the show. Whereas most shows have the complete opposite where they are to the point where clearly they're either fabricating things um, or making something, you know, out to be way more than it is. But um, I'll add this one listener question here, Heather. Um, uh, Kurt was at East City Ranch a month before you in 2008. Anything interesting happened to you um, when you were there? This is a really trippy place oh my gosh i this is one place i've been wanting to go back to i've been there twice and each time i was there i had insane experiences but i mean every night you would see these lights and and it's really incredible when you have we had software there that was a satellite tracking program so we could see you know what satellites were going where in what direction but we would see these lights that would just cruise across the sky really slow then they would stop we would shine these high-powered military flashlights at them whatever it was would blink back to us keep on cruising through the sky and then just zoom off and disappear and we saw this multiple times and i mean to this day i still i tell everybody that they have to go they have to go there and experience it yeah yeah i i've been meaning to get out there and i mean again it's just one of these places where there's so much so much unexplained high strangeness occurring that you can't deny it so yeah yeah um i definitely suggest people that was gonna be on our second season too (laughs) all right we should just do a crazy event we'll just do it and put it on youtube there you go yeah Yeah. you beat me to it man that's gonna be my next question for you guys i mean um 
if given the opportunity to get back out there, go back on the alien highway, um, what would you want to investigate? Does anything really stick out to you? Something that you really feel um, you could bring, you know, break the lid wide open on? Well, well, the thing, the thing with the the first season of Alien Highway, and I think what what worked with uh, with what we captured is this was these were cases that were happening now, and you know I've been in business long enough that you know I've got contacts all over at least the western side of of U.S. And so I was hitting all my contacts up before the, you know, while we were trying to figure out what to do and saying, what's hot right now? What's hot right now? I, I don't want to investigate something. I, I want to capture something real time. And we were so lucky. Um, and even, you know, even in the California one, um, that the episodes that were lined up were episodes where stuff's happening now. So to be able to answer that question, I could only answer it at the time. <laughs> If we got a second season, because I'd be out there putting the fillers and finding out what's happening, because who knows where it could be. I know Missouri's hot right now. I know a part um, of uh, Colorado, Utah border's hot right now. Upper northern Colorado's hot right now. Kansas, I know a place in Kansas that's hot. I mean, you know, there's places right now where I know that it's only because of my website, people emailing me. They'll see Alien Highway or, or they'll see, gosh, even Unexplained Files uh, season two, I was on season one and two, but very briefly. I haven't been on TV as much as Heather. I'm not that experienced. <laughs> but uh, but when they see that, then they 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 Google or, or search me, and they come to my website, and I answer every email because if they took the time to email me, I'm going to take the time to answer them. And it's sightings, and and we've got, oh my gosh, do you know Heather? We have at least two seasons. Two more seasons worth of, of investigations we can do. Yeah, just on the sighting reports that came in from after the show, and that yeah. the production company, and I've got probably at least twenty or twenty-five that I saved that are really good ones. Just, just you know, here I have a collection too. It's just it's crazy. I mean, if you know, anyway, getting their phenomena would be really great because I know their government kind of backs it up. So they're real serious about it. So um, those are three that stick out to me. Cool. That's a sour note right now. Yeah. What'd you say? I'll tell you why. Because my wife and I were headed towards London this Saturday. Work. Uh, Her yeah. birthday is on Cinco de Mayo. And we had a trip already set up to be in Paris on her birthday next Tuesday. Man, that's a bummer. Yeah, this um, this global crisis has really thrown a wrench into a lot of things. I know, you know, yeah. most conferences have been canceled this entire year, um, sporting events, concerts. It's an interesting time we're living in. But, um, you know, at least we have the luxury of going to watch the entire series of Alien Highway um, again. And, um, yeah. What, yeah, absolutely. Don't play yourself short. This is cool. <laughs> this is so much fun. I mean, the, like, this was a huge like um, experiment tonight to see how it went, and I think it went really well. Um, I'm so happy that you guys were able to do this. Um, I got to ask you, before we kind of wrap up here, this whole new age we live in with UFO, I guess, quote-unquote, disclosure. You know, we have this New York Times article that came out, the Navy videos, and, like, seemingly the topic – went mainstream, which a lot of us weren't used to. We were used to being in this quote unquote fringe community for so long preaching to the choir, but now we have a 
world audience listening to a lot of us. So um, what do you think? Are we moving or inching closer to something you two would personally consider disclosure? Is there, is that even a thing? Um, what do you make of UFOs, I guess, in 2020? I'll let Heather go first because I wrote a blog on this. <laughs> I mean, I think it's really wonderful because it's opening the subject up to so many different kinds of people. And being that, you know, we're all in quarantine right now, does that mean more people are going outside in their yards and, and looking up at the sky? You know, are, are sightings increasing? Are people becoming more aware of things in the sky? But um, I mean, I, I just think it's great that people are talking about it. You know, maybe we'll see more footage and, you know, people like we can analyze it and. I, overall, I think it's 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 wonderful, but it's also confusing at the same time because these videos were released like three years ago. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point. I mean, a lot of people are coming to me in the last couple of days and being like, "Oh my god, what is this? Like, are you? Did you know about this?" I'm like, "Yeah, we kind of talked about it two years ago. We've been <laughs> dissecting these videos, these 20 second videos, for almost three years now, uh, <laughs> but now it's official." according to the government. So, hey, you know what? We'll take what we can get. Yeah, Chuck, what do you, exactly, exactly. What do you think, man? Um, disclosure, do you believe in it? Is it a thing? Are we in it? Uh, yeah, what? What do you got? Well, it seems like every eight years or so, there's talks about disclosure. You got to remember, I've been doing this for over 30 years. So it's, you know, it, it comes around. Um, but we're getting really, really close this time, you know, with the Tic Tac and, and all the different videos coming out. And I thought, okay, this is it. You know, 2020 is really big for us, you know, that that it's it's gonna it's gonna push closer and closer to disclosure. And then COVID-19 happened. And then what I saw, and that's why I wrote a blog about it, really upset me. Um, I saw people fighting, I saw people hoarding. Um, I saw people blaming each other, you know, I, people, uh, here in Colorado, um, you know, I have more guns on, on people's hips when they're going to the grocery stores more than I've ever seen. It's, it's legal here, but you know, uh, I've never, you know, I haven't, I've seen more and more. And, uh, and all of a sudden I realized we're not ready for disclosure, you know, as, as at least we're not ready. If we can't handle a virus, without going apeshit, right? Then how in the heck can we handle aliens? And then what about the people now that think, oh my gosh, what about aliens having a virus and diseases? Are we going to be affected by that? And so um, because of what I've seen people do because of COVID, I think we just pretty much just destroyed any opportunity, at least this year, next year, you know, of of, a disclosure. Um, I can guarantee you that, there are people in high levels that were thinking about disclosure that are that have been taking notes on how people are reacting, and and you know and socially and you know psychologically and. But then, why would the Pentagon, in the middle of the COVID crisis, pop up and say, "Oh, those videos were real"? Now I got thinking, "Oh shit." There's something coming down that they can't control. If they could control it, they would have waited past COVID. But why That's a good point. That's a great so point. Something coming down that possibly they can't control. Now, in the in my blog, I kind of at the very tail end of the blog, I was saying, well, the only way that uh, that really 
disclosure can happen now is literally for UFOs flying across the United States and, hey, we're here. Because before it was people like like me and Heather and like you bringing this information out and and uh, and pretty much getting people geared up and, and with knowledge of knowing this stuff has been going on, not since, you know, since the last two decades, but, you know, generations and generations. I have an animal mutilation investigation that was reported in the late 1800s in Missouri with the UFO and three and three animals that were dead. So it's nothing new. It's, you know, it's been going on for such a long time. But now I'm thinking, why would the Pentagon just release this? What's what's going on here? Why why they chose now? Is it to bury the news in everything else we're bombarded with on a daily basis? So we'll forget about it. I don't know. Um, it is an interesting theory and concept. And I do really wonder what's going to happen next in terms of, um, you know, UFO disclosure or um, what are we going to get from the government? Well, you're all going to know what I already know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Chuck's got all the answers. I know. No, I don't have all the answers. I just know all the questions, but I don't know any of the answers. <laughs> good point. Very good point. Um, well, I've got two more questions just to wrap things up with you guys here. Um, the first one being um, what comes next for you guys? I know, you know, we're all kind of locked down right now, so that's, it's tough to get out there and actually do anything, but um when it comes to UFOs, what are you doing now? Are you still, um, Chuck, are you actively looking into cases? Um, Heather, what have you been up to ever since we've all been kind of shunned into our, our domiciles, as it were? I mean, I've been reading a lot. Uh, I'm actually rereading Communion for the third time. Oh, nice. We just reviewed the movie on the uh, I, show I listened recently. To it. I listened oh, to okay. it. Yeah, it was great. Um, I've been reading a lot, um, playing music. Uh, Oh man, roller skating, just trying to be active and, and, but mostly, I mean, mostly I've just been reading and researching stuff. Cool. How about you, Chuck? What have you been up to? Well, I had three investigations lined up before, you know, this hit COVID. And uh, one was a ghost investigation, one was a Bigfoot, and then one was uh, lights, strange lights in the sky and a town, a small town where I was going to go to the small town. I mean, uh, and all this was, you know, within a couple of hours of my home. Um, and then this happened. So um, there's not much, you know, you can do other than, uh, you know, just take notes and this is what we're going to do. This is what I'm going to do when, you know, when we get to the point where we can all get out together again, spend a little money, of course, you know, I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones. Uh, my job, I designed microchips. So um, I was able, I'm working from home, still working from home doing that remote logging into the computer at work. My wife works for a company that's an essential company. So she has to be there every day and she wears a mask. The, uh, Oh, Heather, um, guess what? I ordered a connect system. Oh, you did. (laughs) I finally, I finally pulled the trigger on that. That's fun. (laughs) Yeah. So wife doesn't know about that one either. Oh man. (laughs) She's in store. Yeah. Yeah. Down the rabbit hole you go. Also, yeah. too, in October, um, Chuck and I have an event we're doing together in Minnesota that I really hope isn't canceled. I oh, hope cool. not. I hope not because we rescheduled our London trip for October. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's crazy out there, but, you know, um, I'm still getting sighting reports and I'm getting, you know, people. Well, can you? No, I can't. There's nothing I can do right now. You know, I, I can't 
go out to your, you know, you know, just it's unfortunate, but that's just the way it is. Um, but you know, the nice thing about UFOs is there's there's a lot of them. <laughs> there's a lot of them, and um, you know, we've seen a lot of stats go up since people have been in lockdown. Yeah. I mean, I spoken to several MUFON investigators who said the numbers are rising and we've had a few mass UFO sightings recently as well in like Detroit and I think um, Ohio um, Encinitas. Um, so, I mean, people are home. They're looking for any reason to go outside or pop their head out the window right now. And maybe they'll see something. So, I mean, if I can say anything to anyone, like still report these things mm-hmm. because that's what we do. We gather the numbers and then we go to where the most activity is happening. Damn you, SpaceX. You really yeah, I know. <laughs> that is the, um, the Starlink satellites have become yeah. our worst enemy. Starlink satellites. I just got yeah. an email about that the other day, you know, mass UFO sighting over in Oregon. And a little bit of research. I'm going, yeah, you saw, you saw the Starlink. Um, and, then, and then we have the cases with less traffic. We have less smog and the skies are clearer. Yep. Really good point. Yep. I mean, now is the time to look up, guys. So please keep looking up. And um, in terms of looking, I guess, forward to wrap this up, guys, I'd love to get your opinion on this. I have a lot of younger uh, followers, viewers, listeners to my show and um, a lot of younger people getting involved in this field of research, UFOs, um, which is super exciting. You know, I used to be considered one of the younger people and I'm in my mid thirties or something. Um, I won't go there. Um, but I was considered young at one point and now I'm seeing like teenagers getting involved with this, which is awesome. So I guess my question to kind of wrap this up would be, um, Chuck, we'll start with you. What should younger people do when they get involved with this topic? There's so much disinformation, misinformation, hoaxes, this, that, this, that, um, the ridicule factor even of saying, don't look into that stuff or you're crazy. What would you tell a young person who's just getting interested in the UFO topic? Where should they turn? What should they do? Well, I, I, I kind of like was there. Yeah. So um, just based on my experience, I started out by, by researching and reading. I had a reading communion. I have communion. So it depends first. Um, you have to pick, you know, a topic, pick a Pick what you want first. What do you want to investigate? And then start researching material on that and find out if there's any uh, UFO groups nearby. You know, when this COVID goes away, then you can go to, you know, some UFO meetings. But when you want to get to a point where you want to be an investigator, there's books out there on how to be an investigator. Um, I'm I'm former MUFON. I'm not with them anymore. but, But MUFON actually has an investigator program. And you can go to just MUFON, M-U-F-O-N, and you can you can download. We have to purchase it. Their investigator uh, manual. I um, I think I wrote the portion on on animal mutilations and stuff for them. But it's an investigator manual. It's really good. It's updated. And even if you don't become a field investigator for MUFON, you have the tools to do it. And then decide what you want to do, where you want to go. Start small, because I tell you, you know, um, this may not be what you want to do. It's engulfed my life since as long as I can remember. I've been involved in or ufology since elementary school. And, you know, luckily my, my wife just goes with it. <laughs> I know that feeling, yeah. Pick a topic and go with, you know, and uh, take step-by-steps and then email people like me, ask questions. You know, that's why I'm here. Email my website. And I get emails 
all the time from people asking me, how do I become a, an investigator? And I tell them exactly what I just told you. And I say, if you have any questions, I even try and find groups in their area. You know, I try, I'll, I'll help where I can. Right now it's tough, but, you know. Yeah. 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 Everything's tough. I think a good, um, a good quote that one of our people, Stanman, said was, we're locked down, UFOs aren't which is a really important thing to remember. The work continues. So, um, Heather, what about you? What advice would you give younger people getting involved in either paranormal, UFOs, everything in between? What do you think? I mean, I would definitely say the way I started out was I went out into the field. Mm -hmm. I took my recorder and my video camera and my Ouija board, and I went right out to where I wasn't supposed to be. Well, don't do that, but you know what I mean? Like, go to a place, you know, you can start (laughs) investigating. And um, just kind of see what you can, what evidence you can get. You know, I, I started reading books by Ed and Lorraine Warren, um, you know, the leading researchers, you know, with, with ghosts, they've been doing, you know, research for decades. So I really kind of dove into all of their research, which was really important in the field. Um, but just reading and, and, and exploring different cases so that when you finally go out there, you can pick up the correlations between different kinds of activity and why it might be happening. I think that's really key is, is knowing your, your cases and researching. Mm-hmm. Take very good notes and have lots of little notebooks like I do. Uh, awesome. Yeah, I, I, you're, you're a stickler for the notebooks, which I love, and we need that. Um, guys, this has been amazing. I thought this was going to be like an hour. Of course, we're going on almost two and a half. I don't know what I was thinking, but um, I have to thank you both for giving me so much of your time tonight and for all the listeners and viewers sticking with us, asking questions. I'm trying to get used to um, getting in as much as I can with, um, with making it more interactive with people. But um, before we go, um, both of you, Heather, where can we find everything you're doing? Um, yeah. Give it to us. Well, give us I, them socials. I just launched my website, which is heathertaddy.com. And that's pretty exciting. Um, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. It's all under classic tad. That's my, that's my handle. Cool. How about you, Chuck? Just UFO nut. <laughs> or, yeah, just, you know, because if you, if you search Chuck Zukowski, you'll misspell my last name. So I still do. <laughs> <laughs> I remember UFO nut, you know, um, it's an LLC and it's being trademarked this year. So it's, uh, it's going to be around for a while. Cool. Well, guys, it was so refreshing to revisit the Alien Highway. I was such a big fan. I really hope that either Travel, Discovery, or any of these networks re-examine this show and see how important it is to actual research and getting this topic out to the mainstream. Um, So I got to thank you both for doing this. And um, yeah, I will keep looking up and uh, keep looking within too, I guess. That's me trying to be metaphorical and philosophical at the end of my thing there, but no. Chuck. And your viewers too. And so all your viewers out there, um, by all means, uh, email Travel Channel. Let them know yes. that you're on Alien Highway back or Discovery because Discovery owns Travel. So That is a very good point. Social networks are extremely powerful. So if you guys do want to see Heather and Chuck back out there again, and Daniel, I'm sure he'll come back, tweet to Travel Channel, hit them up wherever you can. Um, Let's get this thing back on the air because I want to get down on that highway with you guys as well. So once again, Chuck, Heather, thank you so much for joining me on Somewhere in the Skies. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.
Somewhere in the Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. To learn more, visit entertainmentonepodcast.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.